I have a Polish friend who was a roadie. I have a Czech one too. A Czech one too. Enjoy the show. Some people say that I threw my brain away. That I'm a logical and don't have much to say. Some people say that it's foolish to believe in what we cannot say. Some word is saved. Thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Avella. On this episode, I brought on a new guest to the show that I heard on another podcast. But before I introduce him, let me get some administrative stuff out of the way. First, Thank you for patiently waiting for some new content to come up, especially to my subscribers to sticking with me. We recently celebrated five years of the Freed Thinker podcast, so thank you to all of you who listen and keep this show going. Again, I'm, sh- I'm sorry for the delay in content, but I just finished another master's course. I've been crazy at work and was recently ordained and installed as an elder at the church that I attend. I also had the baptism debate where I defended the pedo-baptist or the infant baptism position. That debate kind of falls outside of the scope of this show, so I'm trying to find someone to air it outside of the YouTube feed where we did it. But if enough of you want to hear it and let me know, then I might just air it here. But really, what has been taking up most of my life has been getting ready to have our second child in a couple of weeks. My lovely wife has been put on a kind of a partial, not really bed rest, sort of bed rest, uh, which means before and after work, uh, getting up to help our oldest son, Caleb, get ready for the day and fed and bathed and ready for bed at night. And she isn't supposed to be lifting him really as much as possible. Uh, I've had a little bit of content already created and in the queue, but as for new content that requires a lot of prep and research like I normally do, it will have to be put on hold until really into 2017. So the series on the so-called atrocities in the Old Testament will just have to wait to continue for next year. Sorry, that'll be part three of the misogyny episode in specific. But what I'm going to do is work through some of the papers that I've already published that I think are apologetically helpful. Yes, these are papers that some of you may have read already as I post them, but they will be new for a lot of my audience. Keep an eye out for my series where I will finally, yes, finally, reveal my view on Genesis 1. It's probably one of the most common questions I get asked, and I have received uh, and revealed bits and pieces of it here and there. But for those who haven't read the paper that I released recently on this, it's a rather nuanced literary view that I take. I'll be presenting that as well as having a short discussion with Owen Pond and possibly N.J. Persese if we can get it arranged. We're we're in about as uh, disparate of uh, time zones as you can possibly get, me being on the west coast of the United States, Owen in Bulgaria, and N.J. in Australia. Uh, But if we can get the three of us together, or at least two of us together, uh, we'll be discussing some of the reactions that that paper has received, specifically from some young earth creationists. If you enjoy the content of this podcast, please consider becoming a sponsor. You can do so by following the Become a Sponsor link on the blog or on the Podbean page to subscribe to the Podbean feed. Or you can become a sponsor on the Patreon page. Please consider supporting the show. But if you cannot support financially, 
please subscribe on iTunes and rate the show. A positive five-star rating really helps the Freed Thinker show higher up on the search results. Also, if you would like to hear other great podcasts and episodes, why not head over to the Christus Victor Network and see what is on tap over there. All right. Now, with all that out of the way, on to this episode. Today, my guest is Benjamin Watkins, and he lets me call him Ben. Ben is a 31-year-old nuclear engineer raised in Southern Carolina, but is currently living and working in Norfolk, Virginia. He's currently pursuing a master's degree in philosophy at Old Dominion University. Ben's main pursuits of interest are moral philosophy, philosophy of religion, and philosophy of the mind, which you'll hear uh, repeatedly throughout this episode. He currently is an admin for the Real Atheology page and is co-authoring a paper with one of Paul Draper's PhD students on naturalism, theism, and what they call arguments from incompleteness. Ben is a non-reductive naturalist and a progressive humanist, for those of you who know what those are. Now, this episode is admittedly rather philosophically technical far more than normal. I know some of you think I already am a little too philosophically technical. This one might take the cake. Uh, some of you will love that about this other, of this episode. Others will absolutely hate it. Uh, now, I tried to have us stop and define some concepts and terms as much as I could, but I know I probably didn't get around to it for even half of the terms and concepts that we use. So please uh, bear with me. Also, the last about third of this episode, Ben and I get rather, uh, let's just call it blunt with each other. Uh, both of us are passionately uh, involved in what, we, uh, in what we are interested in, and we believe that our positions uh, are the correct ones, and we vehemently disagree with each other. But I can assure you that neither of us left feeling offended or insulted, and neither of us really intended to insult or offend the other one. Actually, after the recording, we both were uh, laughed a lot together and agreed that we thoroughly enjoyed the dialogue, and I am absolutely planning on having Ben back on again to talk about things like morality, uh, the problem of divine hiddenness, and the problems of evil and suffering. Now, one more caveat. This is a very long episode. Uh, It's a little over three hours. So I almost broke it up into three different one-hour segments, but figured that considering the content and, and, and everything that we discuss, listening in one sitting is probably most advantageous and it's best to keep our comments and concepts within that context together. So for this episode, put on your thinking caps, curl up in a comfortable chair, strap in and hold on. It's about to be a philosophical ride. Enjoy the show. So, uh, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. really appreciate you having you. Oh, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's good to be. Is, it, is it Ben, Benjamin? Do you have a preference? I go by Ben. Ben, Ben's fine. All right, we're, we're, we're close enough. We're kin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so, oh, Ben, um, I, uh, I'm sorry, say that again? I said only my mom calls me Benjamin when she's <laughs> mad at me. Oh, and you get middle named? 
Yeah. Well, I don't. Uh, I have two middle names, so oh. it never, never really. It was Benjamin Blake Speed Watkins, and so that just. It was just too much in the moment of anger to yell that many names. Uh, so uh, that's, like, that's like levels of escalation when you get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we wow. were in trouble. My brother and I, we were in trouble a good deal when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah, growing up boys. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. My my, uh, my second boy is due any day now, so we're, I'm definitely looking oh, forward to it. Oh, congratulations. Thank that's you awesome. very much. Thank you. Um, all right, so um, for those listening, I, I heard about Ben on Semper Reformanda Radio, um, one of the, the programs on the Bible Thumping Wingnut um, Network. Um, I thought you were, you were really articulate, made some really good points, uh, really, um, really smart guy, um, wanted to have you on the show um, to just have a kind of a friendly conversation about some, some issues, um, some mostly uh, kind of dealing with your, your naturalism and uh, some of your, your positions. Um, but I did want to start out by saying, uh, like, if I have a hallelujah chorus, I'm going to try to find it and I'm going to try to edit into this thing uh, because you are uh, one of the first atheists that I've heard to, to basically come out and say, like, hey, hey, other atheists, stop saying that atheism is a lack of belief. So bravo, bravo. Appreciate that. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and I, I really can't uh, harp on this too much, I feel. Uh, I feel like it just it needs to be said. Like, it's, it's not a good approach to a deep philosophical question. So we can approach the question, does God exist? And we can give serious answers on both sides and listen to different reasons. And so to just come to that dialectic and say... I just have a lack of belief in theism. Okay, that that so what? You've 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 contributed nothing to this conversation other than your own skepticism. And I I see it used as a tool a lot of times uh for atheists to kind of burden shift or avoid a burden of proof to say whoa 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 like you're the one making the claim so you have to give evidence. Well, they're they're making claims too. And they should have to back them up. I mean, they're they're making. Uh, if if you listen, they might not in that moment be saying it, but if you listen to what they actually think, they're they're making claims about reality. And I think those part of what philosophy is is getting into those assumptions that we have and challenging them, and you know, seeing where things are weak, and then actually putting forward arguments for positions, saying. This is this is where I stake my claim. This is my beliefs are, you know, my intellectual autonomy, and here's where my flag is. These are the arguments that I have for them, and I, and I just I feel like that whole part of the conversation gets lost if you just say, well, it's a lack of belief. Right. Yeah, and I, if, I, for those who have listened to, to my show before, I did one a while ago uh, on this very question, um, and we, we talked about this in our in our little um, uh, IM conversation before, but this is actually, um, this this weakens atheism. I mean, it makes atheism uh, almost just an utterly trivial kind of autobiographical statement. Like you said, it adds nothing to the conversation. Uh, and and it's funny because I'll, I'll try to point this out and I'll try to talk to some of these kind of you call them pop atheists I call them atheistic fundamentalists uh, but that you know probably talking about the same phenomena yeah and yeah. and 
and and I pointed out, I'm like, look, I'm trying to make your position stronger. Actually, like I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to help improve your position, not not make it not make it weaker. Um, I know when I was an atheist, I, I would have I would be like you. I would I would have hated this. Um, it would have driven me absolutely absolutely batty. Um, Even just pure pragmatic grounds. I mean, just the way the la- the history of our language game right. is understood atheism and theism as claims about reality and then we had this new concept of agnostic kind of thrown into it that's a fairly recent development um maybe only a over a little over a century old but when you take this lack of belief stance there's really no meaningful way to to distinguish between an agnostic and an atheist who who take very radically different approaches to the question does god exist and then you'll see a lot of i, I call them pop atheists They'll then try to combine those two words. They'll say, well, I'm an agnostic atheist. Yeah. And they'll try to say that it's, you know, Gnosticism has to do with knowledge and, you know, um, atheism has to deal with belief. And I'm like, well, knowledge entails belief. Right. You're not telling me, I don't, I, you, you're not making any kind of meaningful distinguish. You're just mashing words together and then saying, well, they mean this. Well, we're, that no, that's not what they've meant historically. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I point that out. Um, I, now again, I try, I try not to be a hard nose about this because you know language has semantic range and it changes over time. It's not static. Uh, but whenever whenever an atheist um, tries to say, well, atheism just means atheism, uh, I I die inside a little bit. I try to point it out. I'm like, no, there was a perfectly good Greek root word that's atheos. <laughs> Uh, yeah. it, atheos is actually the root word and ism is kind of, you know, from the Latin suffix uh, for the belief. So it's actually atheos ism is historically the way that that would be parsed out. It's not that, you know, sometime after theism was the English word that we attached the, the, the negation of ah uh, for the prefix onto it. Um, now, again, atheism might morph into meaning something like atheism, but you can't make that. Um, that type of type of etymological argument to say, therefore, that's what that means, because that's just bad etymology. Well, it, it also seems like dialectical etiquette kind of yeah. at the beginning to just define our terms to begin with. Right. Well, that also, I think you you can immediately expose that approach by saying, well, we'll just let's define our terms, and they say, well, I lack a belief. Okay. Well, well, what were you going to even say? And right. like, if you were just going to tell me you're going to tell me about your mental states right. i don't well. <laughs> yeah yeah i um i have a uh someone I, I used to talk with in uh in australia and he pointed out kind of you you touched on the difference between knowledge and belief and how they try to make that you know a sharp sharp dichotomy um and they try to make you know knowledge is kind of you know what what, what we know empirically uh and belief basically it's relegated to the equivalent of how they defined you know well misdefined faith uh, as belief without evidence. So belief becomes belief without evidence. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have a belief, you know, I, I have observation and all that kind of stuff. And, and he pointed this funny little phenomenon out. He said, look, um, let's imagine, you know, see how this strikes you. Let's imagine uh, that theism is true. Christianity is true. And tonight at midnight, Jesus comes back for the second coming. At that point, every single person in the world would have direct observation. Therefore, they would have knowledge uh, that God exists. They, if you define knowledge and belief that way, they would suddenly lack a belief in God because they actually they don't have 
unwarranted uh, blind faith. They now have knowledge. So everyone would be atheists because they lack a belief because they have knowledge that God exists. Um, I mean, it's just you just get in these weird little tangles when you start kind of playing with semantic ranges the way that a lot of these uh, pop atheists do. Well, and you're, I hate to say this because I'm, I'm painting a broad brush that, I'm, you know, it might not be fair or charitable for me to do this. But epistemology, epistemological qualities sometimes tend to be lacking in that sort of approach. Like someone is – they're not thinking about the different senses that faith can be used. They're right. not thinking about the relationships between belief and knowledge and the entailment relations between those concepts. Right. Um, that's not to say all, you know, pop atheists haven't thought about that, that, you know, I, I don't want to paint that broad of a brush, but I've, I've, I've certainly found that the most people that are attracted to this approach are either a trying to avoid a burden of proof or just haven't thought about these concepts and their relationships well enough. Yeah. And it's just kind of a soundbite that fits the narrative because, yeah. cause don't you know that all babies are atheists? Uh, (laughs) um all right so so that was i I heard that in the beginning i just i you know bravo just wanted to appreciate it and also you know i do have atheists that listen to the show hopefully uh they're they're uh you know frantically taking notes um i have theists who listen to the show so hopefully they are also frantically taking notes um but uh yes i I want to second that and say theists put continue to put pressure on that point and atheists start really thinking about that and you know really understand the consequences of your view and what you are the the intellectual impression that you are putting out in the world by thinking this way right yeah i I mean i got to imagine that that you feel when you when you kind of look at your fellow atheists that um are kind of in that in that camp and i and i try not to make a broad brush either right We're, we're clearly not talking about all atheists um, you know, I, I, I have, I brought you on the show precisely because, uh, I think you're a very articulate, well thought out guy. you not, don't fall in that. I, I've had people like Corey Markham on the show who I think is a, a really articulate, really reasonable guy to talk with. Uh, my friend Brandon Kristen had Graham Oppie on the show. Um, there are, there are very clear, this is very clearly not a condemnation of, of all atheists yeah, whatsoever. No, sure. Um, and, but I, but I got to imagine kind of when you're, when, when this, this faction of, um, and they tend to be the most vocal. So this really um, vocal and prominent faction, uh, I got to imagine you look at that the same way I look at like uh, when when Ray Comfort says things about, you know, bananas being meant for our hands to grasp and things like that. Uh, Just uh, it just I mean, it like I just want to be like, please stop talking on my behalf, please. Yeah, I just think, you know, uh, it's like go if can you imagine if a professional philosopher was responding to Alvin Plantiga and was saying how atheism was a lack of belief. Right. I just, I can't, like, that. that's that's like young earth creationists going to Stephen Hawking and being like, yeah, yeah, yeah I see all those equations on the board, but no, 6,000 years. Right. Like, it, you just, <laughs> it doesn't work. Right. Uh, all right. So, so, uh, so it's definitely some, some common ground. Hopefully, um, kind of both sides of the audience are, 
are uh, although some of the atheists might be me gritting their teeth so far at this but uh hopefully uh hopefully a good start so far definitely you know common ground wanted wanted to establish um you know you are you're not uh i I didn't want to have you on we're not trying to argue um definitely want to have an interesting discussion um at the end of the day uh we will probably end up still disagreeing with each other hopefully we'll understand each other's position better uh hopefully we will uh we'll show the audience um, you can have fruitful uh, dialogue. You don't have to agree with each other, uh, but you can have, really have some interesting discussions. So um, I wanted to bring you on because on Semper Reformanda, um, you presented a case for um, a naturalistic, um, a naturalistic worldview, more geared towards a naturalistic epistemology, um, and, and I wanted to kind of rehash that discussion. Um, you know, we don't we don't have to relive it or anything like that. Um, but but I wanted to have some of that conversation again. And I've told you this. Um, there there were some points on that show where um, I thought they allowed you to get away with a little too much. Um, and there were some other points where I thought that you were making some really good points um, that were missed. And so uh, I, I I wanted to kind of relive um, and and do a do a part two to that discussion. So uh, why don't we start out just to begin with. Um, you know, uh, floor floors your, uh, yours for a little bit. Don't mind if I butt in though, because um, I there there are some things that I that I would like some clarification. Probably as you go a little bit, a little bit more than the, than they asked. Um, they were very polite and didn't didn't stop you or anything. I, I might stop you from time to time, not trying to be rude, um, but definitely want to want to address points as they as they come up. Um, so why don't you start off a little bit? But just um, for those of my audience. Um, what what is naturalism? What is kind of your position on naturalism? Um, and it just let's start with uh, defining some some simple terms and concepts. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I adopt um, uh, I guess what you would call a Paul Draperian model of naturalism, um, and in which by naturalism we mean a hypothesis that a physical reality exists. And that any mental reality is ultimately explained by that physical reality. So on this view, physical reality would be causally closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, it's, if, it's, if that's true, then there would be no purely mental beings, which can exist apart from, say, a physical body. And so there is no God. There's no any person or being much like God. There's no souls. There's no devil. There's no demons. There's no angels. Um, and... What I really like about this view is um, that I contrast it with uh, supernaturalism. And by supernaturalism, I just make a symmetric claim that I did for naturalism, where I mean um, that there's a mental reality that exists and that any physical reality is ultimately explained by that mental reality. So if supernaturalism is true, then there's no purely physical matter which can exist without some sort of ultimate mental intentional creator. Um, And then I can build on that concept um, to get to classical theism, um, which is the hypothesis that there's an all-powerful, all-knowing, and perfectly moral person who created our universe for a purpose and is worthy of our worship. Um, And I guess I should also clarify that I'm using the word hypothesis in a rather broad and uh, rather loose sense um, I'm just using that to refer to a proposition that we don't know for certain whether or not it's true um, via something like rational intuition alone. So I think the proposition, you know, uh, God exists can be true or false. I think that the proposition 
God does not exist can be true or false. And so really, um, my interest in these questions is where does the evidence fall? If you were to just the, let the evidential chips fall where they may, which way on balance would the scales tip? Towards theism or towards naturalism? And so you just present different lines of evidence and see where they come up. And uh, Paul Draper has a brilliant uh, inductive method that he use a, uses a Bayes theorem to inductively weigh just different considerations. And so I'm really interested in that conversation between theists and atheists or naturalists saying, you know, hey, here's where all the chips lay. Where, you know, how do we make sense of this? How do our, how do our worldviews clash? We've, we've obviously got radically different ways of viewing the world. You know, what can we make sense of there? And so I think there's a lot of room for interesting discussion right. to be done. A lot of great work. Um, by a lot of great philosophers happening right now. Now's a great time to be interested in the philosophy of religion. I, I agree. Um, it's, it's definitely been, been flourishing. I know we've seen a rise of um, uh, Christian philosophers and, and then um, probably, you know, that, that, that that's leading, journal. yeah, I mean, philosophy in general, but I mean, there's just, there's an interest in these, in these questions um, kind of from all sides of, of the mat. Um, that that's really helpful, and I and I think it's helpful dialogue. It really elevates all of us and all of our position. I mean, I'm uh, I, I'm interested when I read uh, you know Draper and Schellenberg and 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 everyone because it helps me clarify what I what I think about things and pushes me to um, to examine my views. Um, so 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 you kind of define naturalism and supernaturalism basically as a difference between uh, naturalism being a closed system. Um, by a closed system, I, I, I'm assuming you mean that, um, causally closed. Causally it's causally closed. closed, right? So it, it, it's, it's a self-contained whole. There's, there's nothing beyond the system itself. Yeah. Um, there's that, nothing that knock the universe out of existence. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, and by this, um, just, just to clarify, um, uh, this would encompass by 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 nature, material, whatever. This would encompass even if there were um, multiverse or parallel universe. It's just it's just all that encompasses all of physical reality. Is that is that a fair uh, assumption? Oh, sure. And uh, and I guess I'm a bit of a rogue in this sense that um, I actually add another piece to my ontology, which is uh, universals. So things like abstract objects. So are you are you a Nagel uh, are you a Nagel fan? I I am a very very big Nagel fan, and I'm so glad that you just mentioned his name. <laughs> I, I, I I am a huge Nagel fan myself. I thought his book Mind and Cosmos was um, brilliant. I, I mean, brilliant. Very, uh, just, just very uh, very uh, the the criticism for which it the scorn for which it's been met with is totally undeserved. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I don't know how someone can be a robust naturalist anymore and not try to deal with the criticism that he gives uh, of, of naturalism anymore. Um, it's, it's a, it's a phenomenal, it's a phenomenal look. Yeah, but when so, you, so when you say you, you hold the things like, uh, like universals, it, it just reminded me, you know, cause he's kind of, uh, going towards a, a neo, uh, kind of a neoplatonic, uh, position. We probably mm -hmm. don't need to get all that, but. Well, he's always been a, a realist when it comes to reason. Yeah. And so what he's suggested, I'm sorry, I'm getting on, I, I, just let me get this one little tangent out. Sure. Because <laughs> um, one of the things that I want to clarify in his book that I think is often misunderstood is that he's rejecting the purely mechanistic view of ourselves. He's saying that it's incomplete. He's not saying that it's false because 
it gets something wrong on a fundamental level, he's saying that something else is needed. And he, he wants to put teleology, he wants to put value yep. in the universe. And so he's a, he's a evaluative realist. And so, and I think it's manifestly unfair that he can write this book and get so much scorn for it, but it's drawn right from the work of Derek Parfit at Oxford University in right. his book on what matters. He has a whole, like, <laughs> you know, no one, no one's, you know, meeting Derek Parfit with all this scorn, but, but Nagel gets it for some unknown reason. Uh, I think, I think Nagel uh, more publicly slapped the cow, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, so I think it was a subtitle. That, that, <laughs> I think that was it. I think the, the slapping the naturalist cow was the the first. That, it, it got reworked, uh, but that was the that was the first title. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think his his book was was fan, was fantastic in that regard. Um, this is this is where um, and, and I you know I I make no secret about it. I I, I don't try to hide it. Um, I'm I'm a presuppositionalist in the Vantillian sense, um, which. I, I would say even half the people who say they're a presuppositionalist in the Vantillian sense don't know what that means uh, and do it wrong. Um, I know you had, you had kind of mentioned um, uh, uh, what's his what's his name Saiten Bruggenkate. Yeah, um, and some of the followers. Um, I want to. I, I'm sure he's a very nice man. I, I've never met him. I've only heard him talk, and every time he um, debates. Um, uh, I, I just I, I want to apologize on behalf of, of other presuppositionalists. Um, it's it's I don't think that it's a good representation of um, especially of Vantillian presuppositionalism. Um, but this is this is where where my some of my kind of protestations are gonna are gonna come in. Um, sure. Uh, largely because um, I, I I I say this phrase and I don't mean it as an insult. Um, I, I mean it actually as an accurate description. Um, I find in a lot of these discussions, when you start talking, when you start getting into into Nagel, um, when you start getting kind of these um, uh, naturalistic realist positions, um, I'm sure we'll get into to morality at some point. I'm, I'm sure that'll come up in this conversation. Um, when it starts getting into some of these axiomatic foundations. Um, I find on naturalism that they come across almost like linguistic conjuring tricks. Um, and again, I don't mean that as an insult, um, no. but, but that's, but that's, that I think that's functionally what's happening. Um, and I don't think it would be allowed for the theist to do it that way. Um, so, so I, I want to pull at some of these strings a little bit and kind of see, and kind of see how it goes. Um, so when when we talk about things, so so you say you hold to to universals, right? Sure. A abstract objects, all that yep. kind of stuff. Um, my 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 question is because part of me is just going to say I don't I don't know what that means, uh, and I don't mean that I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. Yeah, I mean that I conceptually implausibility about it about saying that something doesn't exist in space or at any time. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird to, it's weird to say that. No, and, that's, that's not so much that because, because I'm a theist, right? I'm a Christian theist specifically. <laughs> so I hold that God exists uh, without space and time. Right. So, so it's not even that. Um, it's, um, it, it's the, for, for me, I have a really hard time specifically with abstract objects. Um, 
uh, and and things like um, we'll, again, we'll get to things like laws of logic, um, objective moral values and duties, things like that. Um, for example, I have a hard time knowing what um, what it means that the number two exists, um, just as an abstract universal. Like I don't know what that I, I don't know what that means apart from uh, existing as a concept in a mind. Um, or existing instantiated in a physical universe, right? So I, I know what it means to have two apples. Uh, I know what it means to have the concept of two, but I don't know what it means to say that the number two, the, like the set, and I, I don't mean like the symbol, you know, the Roman symbol two. I don't mean the word two. I don't mean right, we could we could call it sh- we could call it shmoo for all we want, but 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 that 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 numerical set. Uh, I don't know what it means for that to exist apart from a mind. Or apart from being instantiated in a reality, so so maybe you could kind of hash that out. What 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 does that mean for you to say that that these universals actually exist outside um, of this closed system? So again, again, I um, this is um, kind of a it, it's not a theological question so much. It's the question about how do we have an how do we ontologically account for truths of things like mathematics. So if I say seven is a prime number, um, we're all going to want to say that that's a true statement. And so if we're going to say that, you know, true propositions are propositions that correspond to reality, well, then there's got to be a truth maker in some sense. And so there's got to be this concept seven and this concept primeness and this relationship of them having each other. How do we account? for all of that. And so that's a really inter- interesting discussion. And you know, there's multi- many different answers and ways to approach it. And I adopt the realist approach in that there are universals, that these exist as abstractions. And so you know, things like colors and shapes and properties, propositions, um, these things all exist, but they're universals. And so there's other arguments for other views like fictionalism and other forms of nominalism. And really the, the way I see that conversation is that, um, yeah, there's some initial intuitive implausibilities with, with the platonic view, but it's kind of the last view standing. There's so many other problems with the fictionalist views and other nominalist views. They're just... They're very unsatisfying. They have a lot of problems, and that one just kind of wins by default because it's really difficult to, you know, say, you know, well, well, in what sense does this exist? I, I can tell you in senses that it doesn't exist, and I can tell you it doesn't exist in space. I can tell you it doesn't exist in time. You're not going to bump into the color yellow on the street. So, you know, that, and, and that's really kind of the best you can do in, 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 but you can give arguments. So one of the famous arguments in, in the 60s is the Quine-Putnam indispensability argument, which is an argument for the, it's saying that, look, these abstract objects are necessary. We need them as truth makers for our best scientific theories. If we're going to say that our best scientific theories are true, then we need these properties. And so, and I and I think that argument is more or less successful. 
Yeah, so that that again, that's just kind of where I'm I'm going to come back because so it is right now we're kind of dealing with the the philosophy of it, right? Um, yep. For me, it does have it does have theological ramifications. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep coming back to well. <clears throat> because because you said something interesting. You said you know basically you have fictionalism, you have nominalism, and then you have a realist position, right? Those are really the options for naturalistic views, right? For non-theistic views. Um, I agree with you. Those are probably the top three. I agree with you that um, nominalism, um, I just think is just riddled with problems. <laughs> um, uh, just so many, so many problems. Uh, fictionalism, I, I, I actually, uh, I think if I, well, d- depending on kind of how you use it, makes a, a little bit more sense to me. Um, if I was a naturalist, I'd probably maybe be with you, you as a realist. Maybe um, you should explain what fictionalism is a little bit, just for your viewers, just in case. Yeah, we, do you want to take a crack at it? Time. No, you go ahead. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have to define that view because <laughs> <laughs> if if I remember it right, if I if I'm working this right, I, I can correct me if I'm wrong. Fictionalism is basically um, that they these are conventions that we are um, that, useful fictions. They're, they're useful fictions, right? They're 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 conventions. We look at reality and we to to conceptualize and categorize what we're observing. We make up these categories and impose them on reality, but they're not actually parts of reality. So mathma- the, the, the domain of mathematics would be just as true as, say, Alice in Wonderland. Correct. Which, to me, that intuition, I go, whoa. Right. Well, well I, I don't know if you're like me, but are, are you, are you a, um, a, a coherentist when it comes to epistemology? Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a foundationalist, but I get epistemology. It, it, I, I get the plausibility of co- – and so I kind of go back and forth between that foundationalism and pragmatism, because I, I think they're all getting at something true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for, for, for me, um, fictionalism, <laughs> the major problem I'm with you, just my, my intuition is, well, that just has to be wrong. Um, I mean, when I, when I look at it, there actually are two apples. I'm not imposing tunis on it. There actually are two of them. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, so there, there's, you know, um, there, there's, there's a sense where I'm just going to say, well, that, that one just, that one just has to be wrong. What I found interesting about Nagel's book was was kind of what I I don't know if you intentionally did it and if you were just trying to say these these are the best options for kind of non-theistic versions. What Nagel did in his book so often, which I found which I found almost humorous, was he be well you know theism can explain it, but that can't be true. So so this this other one this realist position has to be true. And I kept reading it and I was like, well. It was funny because he would say, well, you know, I understand that this realism is not ultimately satisfying, right? It, it needs to be fine-tuned. We need to do more work on it. It doesn't really adequately explain it. Um, he, he understands, you know, there, there are problems with just kind of axiomatically claiming it. Um, and he kept saying throughout the book, well, theism has an answer for it, but that can't be true, right? And so part of me wants to go through and say, okay, well, when it comes to things and, and you know, there's, there's, there's all, kinds of, uh, all kinds of these aspects that he didn't address in his book. Um, but when we talk about laws of logic, when we talk about, you know, the nature of values or what, you know, is more common in kind of apologetic circles, you know, objective moral values and duties. Um, when we talk about, you know, persons and minds and all these kind of things, uh, identity over time and all of this kind of stuff. If, if you look at it and you say, well, theism has an answer. Well, theism has an answer. Well, theism, and they're all, you know, good answers. Um, and then you go to the other side and you say, well, naturalism 
none of its answers are really that great. <laughs> um, you know, a couple of them aren't the best. This one, you know, this realist position kind of works, but then you're kind of stuck with these axiomatic universals, which uh, we can't ground, um, but we don't want to say that it's the mind of God. So that can't be true. So they're just kind of these free-floating axioms. Part of me wants to say, kind of like you did with the realist view, we just go, well, that can't be true. I want to look at it and say, well, we have a clear explanation. We have we have one that has uh, that that's that's simple. It's a, it's a singular concept. Um, we we have one that 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 has a, a good robust uh, explanatory scope. It explains nearly every single fundamental aspect of reality. Uh, and and it's not it's not ad hoc, right? We're not we're not kind of altering it to to make the data fit. It, it, it's a, you know, it's, it's a nice natural explanation, so to speak. Um, how does that kind of strike you when, when you're, and again, we'll get into each one of these things, but, but just kind of that overall kind of meta view between them. How does, how does that strike you? And what would you say to that? Um, well, I guess I would disagree with you in that I would say that naturalism is an intrinsically more probable hypothesis in theism. And that um, I would also make uh, another separate claim that um, with respect to the total evidence, I would say that naturalism is a more accurate explanatory hypothesis than theism. So, so and why? why I do have you to think provide it's... arguments for that. So that's that's not an assumption. I just for your listeners, that's something that this is where this is where atheists get burdens of proof. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is where you are not lacking a belief. You are making claims. Yes. Uh, um, why do you think that it's why do you think that naturalism is intrinsically more probable and what and what is you know we we are for my audience i'm very sorry we we you are getting two people who love philosophy and have studied it together we are using lots of words you might not know i'll try to stop and define some of these what do you mean by intrinsically more probable um that is kind of a technical yeah. phrase that means something a, a little great, bit different than question. it might sound so um why why do you think it's intrinsically more probable Okay, um, the intrinsic probability of a hypothesis is its probability of being true prior to examining any external evidence. And um, this is another claim of mine. It's determined by modesty, coherence, and nothing else. And so naturalism and supernaturalism, as I contrasted them earlier, um, the mental, oh, the physical explaining the mental for naturalism and the mental explaining the physical on supernaturalism... Um, they have equal intrinsic probabilities um, because they're symmetrical claims. So prior to any external evidence, both hypotheses are equally likely to be true. Um, but now theism entails supernaturalism, and it makes additional claims. So it makes the claim that like the non-physical mental reality that explains the universe is a person. The per this, that person created the universe for a purpose. That person is all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly moral, and worthy of worship. And then Christian theism entails theism and supernaturalism while making even more claims. So that would be, um, that person has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Belief in that person is necessary for salvation. Um, other Christian, uh, mankind is in a state of rebellion towards that person. So these are all additional claims that come along with Christian theism. And so um, I, I would put forward the principle that all else being equal, the, hypos the hypothesis which asserts more is more likely to be asserting something false. 
Um, consequently, naturalism is intrinsically more probable than theism, and much more intrinsically probable than Christian theism, because naturalism is a more modest hypothesis than theism, and is much more modest than Christian theism. Would you say, though, at that point, so, so naturalism, you said, is going to be equal to supernaturalism? Right. Yes, they 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 all have equal intrinsic probability. Right. So you, you have you have some extra. So you're saying once you get theism, you have some extra claims, right? <coughs> Part of me wants to say, well, to be f- if we're going to be fair, right? You're not holding to pure naturalism, right? So so we we've already looked at in order to make your in order to argue for your naturalism, you've had to layer on a couple things. Right? You've had you've had to layer on some some realist positions. Um, you've had to layer on um, some you know uh, you, you you start getting well, both, both realist positions are compatible with both naturalism and supernatural supernaturalism again and naturalism are very specific claims. Just that the mental reality explains a physical reality, or a physical reality explains a mental reality. It tells us nothing about abstract objects. Right, but I, but so so at this level, I could say, okay, well, uh, I, I don't typically do this because uh, I, I'm a presuppositionalist, and I think we can actually, from 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 the get go, uh, have have uh, specifically the Christian God as a necessary precondition. That would probably be a whole different episode to look at my view of things, uh, as opposed to sure. you know here we're kind of focusing on yours. Um, that would be a great episode, by the way. I, I I agree. You know, maybe I'll have you back on, and you can you can sit in the in the other chair. Uh, we, you know, I think of like a, um, a William Lane Craig, um, there are some aspects of him that I really like. There are some aspects that I don't really like. Um, uh, he typically argues for kind of a vague theism, right? Um, he will make arguments for the resurrection for Christianity. Um, but when you look at like his Kalam cosmological argument, all these kinds of other things, he's, he's kind of arguing for, for a vague um, for a vague theism, um, I think what he's doing um, is is basically saying, well, once you have supernaturalism, what's the best explanation, right? So, so one of my biggest um, love hate relationships with with him is the Kalam cosmological argument. The reason being is um, I don't think he's disingenuous. Um, but I don't think he's always clear of the fact that he's smuggling a, in a lot of things after the argument. Um, and I try to point this out to atheists, and I say, look, as an atheist, um, when I was an atheist and I was a naturalist, I could completely 100% agree with the Kalam cosmological argument. Uh, they're, they're, the, the, the end of the argument is that the universe had a cause. That's yep. it, right? It doesn't get to God. So whenever whenever someone tries to use that argument to get to God, right? Unless they're being very opaque with what they're doing, they can't just say, "Well, and that causes God," right? And so a lot of atheists freak out and they're like, "Oh, well, the Kalam, you know, it's a terrible argument for God." And I try to point out, it's not actually an argument for God; it's an argument that the universe had a cause. Now the question comes: What's the best cause? That's the explanation. That's where really all the spade work on the theistic side needs to come. Um, and Craig almost never does that in his debates, typically because he doesn't really have enough time to do it. Um, but that's really where it would all have to happen. And, he, you know, he tries to point out um, that the cause would have to be timeless, spaceless, immaterial, right? All these kinds of things. Um, and, and he argues that the, the best candidate for that 
is God. And that's how you get to God kind of after the Kalam cosmological argument. Um, but I think what he what he tries to get at first is kind of, you know, supernaturalism. He then gets into a theism. I think what's happening in yours is similar because when, it, it, you know, we, we this is the first time we've talked, but I have a feeling if I pressed you, your naturalism isn't just kind of the vague base naturalism that you're comparing with supernaturalism. So I'm not sure, you know, again, I'm not trying to say you're disingenuous or sneaky or anything No, no, like no. That. I think that's a fair thing to say because obviously to unpack, when I say that the physical explains the mental, that's that's a that's a that's a big claim. I mean, the 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 the, the what what all's entailed in the physical reality is that's a very rich ontology and a mental reality. Right, and could, I, and I think to get there, I, I think to get there, you would actually need. If I started to ask you to defend that, which I'm not sure we're going to have time to, but if I started asking you to defend that um, as kind of the foundation position. I think it's actually a little bit more um, a posteriori than it is a priori. I think it's it actually is. rooted in a lot more things. Um, and so, well, so my intrinsic probability argument is most certainly an a priori argument. And so um, you're absolutely right that I would did so to then defend the naturalism that I laid out. I would give you know evidences that I thought right. you know favored the naturalistic interpretation. So this. This what, what this allows me to do is is there's there's a discussion even among phys- physicalists between reductive and non-reductive physicalism. So my the, the the naturalism that I'm advocating leaves that an open question, and lets um, you know people come to their own conclusions regarding that. Yeah, but that's my concern. So when you say so so in your argument when you say that naturalism is intrinsically more probable. Um, I think the naturalism. I think that the naturalism that you're arguing for um, is kind of a second order naturalism compared to the naturalism that's just the basic um, that you compared to supernaturalism. So I, I think there might be an equivocation happening there, um, where the naturalism that you're actually arguing for and that you're gonna because part of this. I'm sorry I'm jumping ahead. I, I listened to your, you know, I, I did listen to your previous dialogue, so I, I, I do sort of know what's coming. Um, I, I, I worry that, um, and, and, you know, maybe I can put this on hold until we kind of get there, but I worry that that claim that, that it's more modest, um, kind of, it's taking the modesty of that original naturalism that's being compared to supernaturalism and it's attributing it to kind of a naturalism 2.0 that's a little bit further down the tracks and a little bit more developed. That might actually be more on par with, uh, it might be, you know, kind of a similar level of claims as theism would be. It might not be all the way to where, you know, Christian theism would be, but it, it, I, I worry that it might be at the same, the same kind of claimant level um, as theism. Uh... I don't, I don't, yeah. What, what do I say to that? <laughs> you say, you say, absolutely, Tyler, you're right. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, if that's the way it seems to you, because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have two propositions. I have the, the physical explains the mental and the mental explains the physical. And those are just symmetric claims. And so that's all I need. And so naturalism, bam, that, that, that claim is what I'm, I'm just assigning the label of naturalism to that. So I could call this, Ben's hypothesis, and it would still just be the physical explains the mental. 
Right. So, so what I what I'm saying is, I think I. Uh, so let's let's call let's call uh, you know this naturalism one um, that the the closed system hypothesis that would be entailed by the physical explaining the mental. Correct. Because there uh, would be no there would be no intentional agents to causally interact from outside. Uh, yeah. So. But I think, and, and again, I, I'm I'm kind of prefacing. So when I, when I call this out later, if I call it out, you know, maybe maybe it won't come up in this dialogue. Um, it I, I think it did in in the one on simple reformanda. Um, if I call it out later, um, this is kind of what I'm referring to. So I kind of just want to set the stage for it. Um, okay. So so let's call this naturalism one, um, kind of first level where you're comparing it to supernaturalism. Naturalism two is going to be a, a little bit more developed and robust with a few more assertions tacked onto it, um, and, and that's that kind of naturalism two is is I think the one that was being claimed as being more modest than theism, um, uh, whereas really what? naturalism two isn't more modest than theism. While naturalism one might be more modest than theism, uh, I think there was a little bit of a conflation happening there. We can leave that here for now, and if it comes up, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call sure. that out. Um, so we, we can we can kind of move on um, from that point. Although although I, I would like to bring back again, um, and I think this is where you're going to get to on coherence. Um, if naturalism can't adequately account for things like laws of logic, um, intentionality, mental states, objective moral values. Um, I'm not sure it is a coherent position uh, or that it is uh, more intrinsically plausible. Um, in the same way that I might have some claim um, uh, that uh, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of a good parallel example that, that all dogs are cheese. Um, there might be some argument where that is a more modest claim than that all, you know, cats, mice, giraffes, and everything love to eat cheese on Sundays. Uh, it might be a more modest claim, but that doesn't make it a better claim. Um, and so, and so I, I think that might come up here in your coherence, but let, let's continue I think, on. Yeah, I, think, I, think I think you're absolutely right when you say that. I think that um, just because it's intrinsically more probable doesn't mean that it's true. I mean, there's, this, is, this is where uh, you know, evidence for theism can outweigh you know, intrinsic, improbab- you know, intrinsic improbability. But the, the reason I, la- I make that claim to set that out is to, is to show that if you've got two scales, think of the scales already tipped a little bit in favor of naturalism. And so that, that, that gives you a good mental image of the kind of evidence that needs to be brought forward to the hypothesis that I call theism to get the evidence to go and tilt more in, in, in favor of uh, theism. Because, again, my project is to let evidential chips fall where they may. Right. I should also, by the way, preface this um, by, by, by telling you that, that I'm not a fan of Bayes' theorem, um, uh, especially when applied outside of mathematics. Um, so th- this goes for um, people like Draper, um, this is actually one of my larger critiques. Uh, I, I find um, um, Bayes' theorem is really easy to sneak assumptions <laughs> uh, and and uh, uh, and preferences into. Um, but this equally goes to projects like uh, William Lane Craig and Gary Habermas, who try to use it to prove the resurrection. Um, I, I just find Bayes' theorems in in, in uh, issues like this to be a little bit 
uh, fuzzy to say the least. So uh, I should preface that. So that might that might explain some of my skepticism on some of these positions. Um, well, I can still the, the the arguments that I pose are inductive. So the you know the inductive art. So it's the indu- But you you have to um, have a structure of your inductive argument, and that and so one of some of Draper's very you know kind of I don't want to say revolutionary, but influential work has been modeling these inductive methods to Bayes' theorem. So I, we can we can set Bayes' theorem aside and just look at the inductive logic by itself. My, yeah, my, my skepticism comes with, um, with um, fi- really when we start talking about intrinsic probability okay. uh, and more probable. Because to me, um, I mean, I could just say, well, I disagree. I think theism is more intrinsically probable. Uh, and and so then you would give an argument for that, and right. then it would be it would be an exchange of okay, well, how well do these arguments you know stand up? What right. kind of object, objections will we each have? And right. So why don't why don't we move on? So so um, so we touched on modesty. Why don't we move on? Um, what do you mean by by uh, by coherence? Um, by coherence, I just mean how well the pieces fit together. So um, if there's a lot of logical holes or logical problems in a theory um, that kind of counts against it. Now, th- that one's very difficult to weigh um, because what you have to do is, is you have to look at um, logical problems with both naturalism and logical problems with both theism. Because when you're weighing the evidence a posteriori, you're already assuming that it's a logical possibility. Right. So... Um, to give an example, one of the the interesting questions in classical theism is that God is perfect justice and unsurpassable mercy, which seems on a common interpretation of justice and mercy that you can't be both. You can't give everyone exactly what they deserve and everything and, and give no one exactly what they deserve, giving them less than what they deserve. That just seems, you know, you, there, there's work that there that needs to be done but i would argue that problems like that count against a hypothesis these little pro you know the more little pockets of incoherence that you find count against a hypothesis a prior yeah yeah and i think uh by, by the way you mentioned that and that's actually um it's a really interesting one because a lot of people miss it you had a tangent i'm going to have a kind of a, a biblical theological tangent here um Excellent. i i actually think that 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 exact tension how can god be just and merciful at the same time um is one of the the driving themes um throughout specifically the the prophetic books in the old testament that so many people miss um and, sure. and, and it's a it's a really helpful way to understand what's happening in some of these narratives. Why does God just seem brutal in some, and then just like overly permissive in, in other? What is happening? Um, and the entire point is, how can God keep His covenant with Israel and still be just? Right. That that actually is one of the driving themes. Uh, I think it points us, um, and I think uh, honestly, I think that Jesus is the answer to that question. Typically in Christian theology, so it's I actually think that you're hitting on something that even within Judaism and Christianity um, is a very, very important thing. That's, that's, not, that's not a small position. Uh, and the angst that that, that question brings, um, I, I don't think that, that um, Christians or, or Jews should really be 
that dismissive of that that is a that that is something that has caused a lot of existential angst for a lot of um followers of god for for millennia um so it's really interesting that you that you bring that up and i think that that is um definitely a driving theme throughout the pages um that was an interesting tangent. I had never thought of it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, but my, all to say, you know, um, Christians shouldn't be dismissive of those types of those types of issues when we're dealing with the coherence of theism. I mean that 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 problem has been raised by biblical authors. Uh, it's it's not it's not it's no small thing. Um, I, I forget who says it, but I always try to tell theists and atheists both that you have nothing to fear and everything to gain from an honest pursuit of truth. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, just tackle some of these problems head on and really think about it, and uh, you'll you'll discover the value in doing that. Right, and I think you'll get closer to truth. But again, sorry, one more tangent before we go in. Uh, <laughs> I, one more tangent before I basically say why that I agree with you too. So I'm really holding out the the good chips right here. Uh, <laughs> um, so one of my biggest um, complaints with how presuppositionalism is. I'm going to say abused. Uh, I don't want to say used because it's improper. It's an improper use. Um, sure. And I think it, I think it falls under for, for you, this might, it might be a meaningless term for a lot of people. It might be a meaningless term. I think this comes from a more Clarkian um, presuppositional position, um, but I'm sure you've heard it. It's the, how do you know? But how, but how do you know? How do you, yeah. you, you if you don't, if you don't have certainty, right, then you don't know anything at all, right? I think that is a, a that that is one of the worst representations of presuppositionalism, uh, and a terrible version of an argument, um, because I think that we can have. Um, is it an argument? <laughs> okay, yeah, fair. I think it's a terrible version of a, of a bad attempt at an argument. Um, uh, and and I hear I hear fellow Christian apologists and 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 people who have kind of lightly tapped into to presuppositionalism use this argument. But how do you know? But how do you know? Um, and they're trying to get you to say, "Well, I don't know." And then they go, "Ha, gotcha! You don't know, so you you know you if you have no certainty, you're, you you know you got nothing." Um, which is just meaningless. I mean, it's just there there are all kinds of things that I can have reasonable beliefs on um, and not have absolute certainty. And in fact, absolute certainty isn't required for knowledge. <laughs> Um, I just have to have warranted belief and that belief has to, to, to actually be true. And I don't have to know that it's true in order to have knowledge. Um, so, uh, again, uh, kind of, I think you might want to, you might want to rephrase that. You said, I don't even have to know in order to have knowledge. I don't, I don't have to know true. that I know in order to have okay. knowledge. Okay. Right. So, um, so I might not be absolutely certain um, that I okay. have, that I know something, but I could still have true knowledge because I have warranted true belief about it. Um, so, I mean, I, that does get into kind of a, a, a epistemological uh, that's debate that's happening. Um, it, it's interesting, but but I but but basically, I, I hold that line, and and whenever someone says that, I want to be like, well, I mean, do I mean do you do you know every single item that's in your refrigerator right now? Well, no, but does that mean you can't, you know, have belief that there's eggs in your refrigerator? Like, it, it's just, it, like, it's just, it, it's so absurd to me and so easily defeatable that I, I just, I'm not even sure why it comes up so often. At the risk of potentially slandering or being uncharitable, um, is it now, hasn't 
people like Saiten Bruggenkate admitted that the, the point is to shut down the conversation, to stop, to, to get the atheist to be quiet. So this is my, I, that's a terribly uncharitable interpretation. I know. No. And, and I'm not sure. I, I don't listen to much of him, uh, to be honest. Um, uh, just because I, I found again, uh, even if I agree with his conclusions, I don't agree with how he gets there. I don't agree with his arguments. Um, he, you know, he seems like a smart guy, nice guy, but I, I just I can't go with him on that on that path. Uh, and you know, they might say, "Well, Tyler, you're not a true presuppositionalist." Whatever. I, I, you okay. know, no I true Scotsman. Uh, yeah, I think I think I'm actually rather Vantillian. Um, but um, uh, I think actually where that comes from is there's a Bible verse that says you you know you stop the tongues. Uh, of of the mockers, basically, um, if if you can if you can, which I think this is by the way a terrible interpretation of that passage. Uh, anyways, um, I think that the idea is that if you can overpower them, then you are stopping the tongues and you're stopping them from from basically blaspheming God. Um, I think that's a misapplication of that verse, and I think it's a terrible application of that verse. And but I think that that's where that comes from. I don't think it's necessarily they're trying to like shut down the argument, but I do think they are trying to stop up the tongue of the unbeliever. Um, I don't know if that kind of nuance makes makes a, a difference for kind of how you're understanding it. Well, I think that's all. Those are all interesting points. Definitely something to think on. Uh, well, I mean, don't think on it too hard. I think uh, it's wrong so uh, <laughs> um okay so well, i like to encourage people to to make up their own minds make up your own <laughs> minds uh i mean go go listen to 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 Cy ten bruggenkate um and some of his debates i think he's on apologia radio is that right uh, I, I don't know i stopped following him a while ago anyways um but i but i did want to come back and say um i think you're right so i think that that um I don't actually hold that that naturalism, when properly conceived, is um, in is internally incoherent. Although planning as natural argument, um, evolutionary argument against naturalism, I think it's close. Um, but I don't hold that it's internally inconsistent. When you know, it might have some of these these kind of Piccadilly problems. Um, it might have some of these these kind of quandaries within itself, where it has a hard time explaining some things. Um, but I don't think it has like any logical contradictions within it. I think the coherence problem comes when it's trying to explain some of these. I, I just don't think it's an adequate explanation, and I think that that's different than than coherent. So I I think that you're right. So far I agree. That. So so that's that's the second part. Of, so. I would. I then have another per, pro, uh, proposition, um, separate from the intrinsic probability that uh, the with respect to the total evidence, naturalism is a more accurate explanatory hypothesis. These. So I agree with you that 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 consideration is separate from the coherence. In order to even begin making the case for that um, second proposition, I've already conceded that theism is logically possible and i think i think that's a perfectly reasonable point that atheists should concede to theists <laughs> well uh be careful I, I do i do find uh planning as modal ontological argument compelling and if you concede that that uh that it's logically possible i think it does follow that it, that it's necessary 
uh, again, topic for a whole nother episode. Yeah. Uh, um, so I see so, what you did there. Yeah, I see you know, how you snuck yeah. that little necessary existence thing. Yeah, in you there. like that. Uh, <laughs> whole, whole, different, whole different episode. Um, so why don't so so um, so I think it, you know we can get to your we get to your modesty. I think you and I are in large agreement actually on the coherence aspect of it, um, specifically how it applies to naturalism. Um, what about your last one? This this one actually I found interesting because it's very similar to the presuppositionalist uh, impossibility of the contrary. Not quite the same, but close. So, so what do you mean here by the nothing else and nothing else? I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. Um, you said you had your your three criteria: you had modesty, coherence, and nothing else. Yes. So, so what what is what is the nothing else? The nothing else just means that those two factors determine um, intrinsic probability. And, and, and there's there's no, um, okay. So then or uh, again. Okay, I, I might have misunderstood your position. I, I might have remembered that wrong and misunderstood that. I, I thought that it was um, uh, that it was it was saying something else. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll move on past that. So so nothing else uh, influences um, the the probability or the intrinsic probability yeah. of. I think of, you can reduce intrinsic probability to those two factors: um, coherence and modesty. Perfect. Um, all right. So. Um, I want to. I do want to kind of. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to. We'll come back to, to some of this here in a little bit. I want to switch gears just a little bit, um, because when we get into intrinsic probability, um, I want to see how you answer a couple of questions. Um, you know, I, I don't mean these to be gotcha questions or anything like that. the The yeah, reason sure. the reason why I ask this is because. The, once we get to intrinsic probability and, and we start kind of getting into, you know, uh, kind of Humean uh, naturalism is, is always intrinsically uh, more probable. Um, I think that that raises some problems um, for naturalism as an epistemology specifically. Um, and I see um, a lot of um, a lot of naturalists, a lot of atheists, specifically pop atheists and, and what you call pop atheists, what I call you know, atheistic fundamentalists, um, and how that's applied to these discussions, um, again, to kind of just whitewash over, um, uh, ev- what, it, what it means by evidence, what, um, what, uh, what standards we should use for, for belief or evaluating these things. Um, so, so you said, you said a while ago, um, that you'd, you'd weigh the evidence for and against, so one sure. of the questions that I like to ask is, what evidence do you think would count for you to favor the position that God exists? That 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 you know, let's we don't have to go into fully orbed Christian theism, but what but what evidence would you hold to um, that that some type of personal God exists? Um, that it, that it's not just uh, that it's not just natural processes in a closed system. Well. Um... There may be very very well be others, but um, there's two that I would certainly mention that I think are really interesting arguments. And the first one is the argument from consciousness. So I think that if you're going to let evidential chips fall where they may, you've got to look at the antecedent reasoning on both hypotheses. And so theism entails consciousness. It, in, it, in, it entails a conscious mind, God. And so consciousness in the universe is not surprising at all on theism, but it is surprising on naturalism 
So if if at the base we're talking about you know the physical, and the physical gives rise to the mental, well the the, the mental's contingent, so it it doesn't entail it. So uh, you know I I think that's uh, that that chip falls in favor of theism, and the other argument I would mention that I find very interesting is the argument for moral agency. So the fact that um, in the universe there is moral agents, embodied moral agents, and um, that appear, you know, have um, experiences of libertarian free will. You know, those are, you know, those are arguments that theists can make, and I think they, they have some pro- plausibility to them. And so if you're going to look at theism, you know, theism posits a perfectly moral creator that he wants to have an infinitely loving relationship with. So moral agents um, are not surprising on theism, but I think they are surprising on naturalism, especially giving, given fine-tuning da- data. So I think this is, you know, William Lane Craig likes to champion a, a fine-tuning argument, but I actually think he's putting forward the weaker argument. I think if he put on, you know, he, he, he says that the life is fine-tuned for, that the universe is fine-tuned for life. The universe is fine-tuned for moral agents. So I think that's a very, uh, I think that's a powerful argument. I think moral agency is a being that goes towards theism. And so naturalism's, you know, the evidence for naturalism's got to counteract that. You know, the, the evidence that you bring forward. Right. I, and and I agree. This this is this is by the way. Um, I, I forget who it's. I, I forget who it said. And honestly, I'm going to butcher the little. It's like a little like catchy cliche. Um, and it was basically um, that that, athe- that that naturalism um, does a great job accounting for the minutia of reality, whereas theism does a great job um, accounting for um, the existence of reality. Um, I butchered that a little bit, um, but, when, but, um, but, you know, when, when we're lining up those beans, um, and, and, you know, I, I, this came up a little bit in your conversation. I'm sure it'll come up for us here in a little bit. Um, I, I have no problem saying that naturalism does a great job explaining natural processes, um, within the universe. Um, I, I honestly, I can't think of a fundamental aspect of reality though, um, laws of logic, fine tuning, something from nothing. Uh, I actually would go so far as to say the old philosophical problem of the one and the many: um, consciousness, moral agency, wow. freedom oh, of the will. Like uh, what's that? I, you gave a nod to Aristotle. I uh, like you know, it. I, I try, I try. <laughs> um, I, I think all, I think all of these kind of more foundational, broader issues um, are better explained on theism. And so you, you, you kept saying it's a bean on the scale. What's interesting is I, I think um, uh, naturalism does it might maybe do uh, maybe it depends on it depends on how much these 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 beans are related to some of these uh, fundamental aspects, uh, but might do a better job explaining some of these fundamental or some of these uh, these aspects you know in, uh, uh, smaller aspects within reality. But it's these massive boulders um, that go on the scales of the science uh, on the side of theism. So uh, I, I think that analogy um, might might help kind of clarify some of my skepticism on this. But but I wanted to go back. So so when I asked you um, evidence for it, what's interesting is you so you gave you gave three philosophical arguments, right? Um, which I found very refreshing, by the way. 
um, because typically uh, we're going to um, I, I didn't quite know what to expect from you because I know you're a very you're a reasonable guy you thought through these things um, typically we're going to get things like evidence where really what they mean is empirical evidence um, so so you know things like God will write his name across the stars or something you know something ridiculous like that um, for you you gave really three um, you know cogent philosophical arguments but my question still works so if if a naturalistic explanation is intrinsically more probable, right? So if we're going to say, uh, you know, the, the existence of consciousness, you can have a naturalistic explanation or a theistic explanation, right? You're going to say that if, if those are the only two options, the naturalistic explanation is intrinsically more probable, right? Um, yeah, but I would have, I would avoid saying that those are the only two options just because I would want to avoid the charge of a false dichotomy. So I would introduce um, a third alternative and just call it otherism, which says that both, both the possibility that both naturalism and supernaturalism are false. So something like Thomas Nagel would probably fall somewhere in there with a no, neutral monism or what he calls a dual aspect theory. Yeah. Where... So, um, I, what, what, basically what I'm saying is that, um, when you go to a Bayes model, you have to put in priors, prior probabilities. Right. And so the intrinsic probabilities helps us do that. We know how to weight the hypotheses before the evidence. And if, if, if modesty is what determines this intrinsic probability, um, you're going to put the numbers in favor of naturalism because it's just it's your again it's the principle that i said um so I, I put forward the principle all else being equal the hypothesis which asserts more is more likely to be asserting something false so you know i'm using that that's an epistemic principle that i'm that, I, that i'm putting forward so that's certainly a point at which you could challenge me um, or that anyone else, you know, say, raise objections or ask me to justify further. Yeah, I, I, I would probably challenge that um, that kind of uh, epistemological principle. Um, I'm not sure it's uh, well. We, we maybe we can come back to it. Um, so my my question though is is going to come, uh, and maybe you can answer this a little bit more easily than than kind of an average atheist would, because you, your your position is 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 um, quite more quite quite well thought out. Um, it, it seems to me. Again, I, I I'm going to come to fundamental disagreements with it, um, and ultimately think that it's that's incorrect. But but um, it'd be, the dialectic's working. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but but it would be but it would be interesting to see how you answer it. So if a natural so if, so if we have so you might have etherism, right? Which um, mm-hmm. Etherism to me seems like it would be um, intrinsically the least possible because it's it's almost uncategorized. We don't even know what would, would fall I into agree. it, right? Um, so if we have something, so if we have if we have um, naturalism uh, intrinsically more plausible than 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 theism, but etherism, which is kind of intrinsically the least probable, I'm not sure that it would really be relevant here, but but. At that point, so if we're going to say, um, you know, the existence of consciousness, we have consciousness and reality. Um, why? So why would that being fall to theism? And I know you kind of explained because on 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 theism we have mind already, so we'd expect to have mind. 
Yeah, we have antecedent reason to believe that there would be consciousness in the universe. Correct. But but if naturalism is intrinsically more probable, does do you actually get that from theism? So so couldn't couldn't you say um, that there's a couldn't you say that there's a naturalistic explanation that's more probable than theism to explain consciousness? Because any I'm, I'm kind of going Humean here. Any naturalistic explanation is intrinsically more probable than any theistic natural explanation. Um, you could, but again, I'm, my project is letting evidential chips fall where they may. So I, that, that would be an additional argument, saying that this is, um, you know, we'd be shifting to a conversation about consciousness. What is the best theory that accounts for consciousness? And that's, that's an incredibly controversial um, field. So I wouldn't, I, I'm just not confident to make, you know, very strong claims. Right. Like, I, th- I think that, I think that kind of actually confirms my, my question though, because so you're, you're not saying this and I don't, and I don't think, I, I don't think you actually would try to make this statement. Um, but a lot of atheists are going to, are going to come and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the kind of the meme that the, you know, I don't know is always a more humble position um, than making claims that we don't know. Right. I, I, absolutely. And I think every person on the planet should admit that there's a hard problem of consciousness. No one, we don't really know what it is. No one does. <laughs> right. So couldn't, so could we say, so we have, we have, we have consciousness, we have the hard problem. You have, you have, naturalism being intrinsically more probable than theism what keeps what keeps your fellow naturalists from saying well i don't know what caused it um but science has never shown god is the cause of anything so you know shouldn't we shouldn't we kind of put that chip either neutral or shouldn't we actually put it in naturalism because I don't know what it is, but science will hopefully find out one day what it is, and it's more likely to going to be a naturalistic explanation than a supernaturalistic or a theistic one. Like, so my so my question is: so why would you put that bean in the theistic side rather than either kind of categorically neutral? Um, because yes, it may have a prior probability on, on theism, but that might be either equally balanced or even outweighed by kind of this intrinsic probability of naturalism. Does that question kind of make sense? Yeah, it kind of makes sense, and hopefully, I'll 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 be able to answer it. Um, so, with theism, oh, how do I want to say this? So, I, the conclusion is that it's prima facie evidence for theism. So, there's another. There's then the for, evidence for my audience. That means that means on the face of it, prima facie on the means face of, on yes. the face. Yes, thank you, thank you. Okay. I uh, dropping technical terms here, <laughs> and so. It's the naturalist can have a response is going to have arguments that he could bring forward and say, okay, well, look, like once all the relevant evidence is stated about consciousness, it doesn't really appear that this chip belongs in theism. It it did at first, you know, when we, when we use those just very general antecedent reasoning, this is what, and so um, I think there's a parallel argument for naturalism here that the material world is more likely on naturalism than it is on theism. So um, naturalism entails a material space-time, 
But theism doesn't. Theism, you know, God could have created an immaterial world of angels, or he could have chosen to create nothing at all. And so you could say that these two arguments cancel out. That's that's one way to approach, you know, responding to this um, question. The, the other is to to, to point to facts, um, uh, more particular facts about consciousness that are more likely on naturalism than on theism, like um, than the general fact that consciousness exists. But we also know that consciousness is physically dependent, so that we know we know that we we know of no mental activity. That exists separately from a from an embodied brain. All known mental activity has a physical basis in embodied brains, and so that's more likely on naturalism than it is on theism, or like you alluded to, um, the success of science. The success of science we've we've not seen. It's it's littered with examples of naturalistic explanations replacing supernatural ones, but no examples of supernatural ones replacing naturalistic ones. And, you know, so, so that's a point that you could say, look, once, once you've weighed all the evidence, it's not so clear that theism is the best explanation for consciousness, all things considered. Right. So I, I think just kind of to, to, wrap up this question my concern for this is um and this is this kind of goes to my uh suspicion about Bayes' theorem it kind of goes to my overall skepticism about um naturalism um as an epistemology um is that if it if it's granted to be um intrinsically more probable um it comes off to me as being unfalsifiable um, largely because spe- I don't think that's the case. specifically. Well, I think it is because specifically, you you really could say, um, uh, I don't know is the more humble position. Um, and so at that point, if we discovered mental activity that was separate from a physical brain, if we found disembodied minds, if we somehow were able to. You know, establish the existence of disembodied minds. That's a that's a falsifying point of naturalism. That's so, something that, that's a being that's a strong being in favor of theism. So this is where I'm going to keep pushing. So how would we on on your worldview? What evidence would you accept for the existence of disembodied brains? Uh, I'd have to think about that more. Uh, I'm not a philosopher of mind, so that's probably a question I need to to reflect on more. This, this is. The, I mean, you, I think you should. So this is where I think some of the assumptions that that I that went unchallenged before, I, I want to start kind of pulling at some threads, because when sure. I when I say, well, what what? Okay, so it's it's built on. Okay, well, we could find disembodied minds, and that might be evidence. Okay, well, what would be the evidence that you would find of a disembodied mind on naturalism? Right. My guess would be mental that if activity I, that didn't have corresponding physical activity. So how would you how would That's, you know how would you know that? So I, obviously I'm not a neuroscientist, so I can I'm obviously speculating here. But my understanding of the science is that we can scan people's brains and correlate mental activity with brain states, and so we know that prior to mental activity, there's physical activity. So we know that the mental activity is causally related very strongly to the physical activity. Well, if we had mental activity, 
that didn't have any corresponding physical activity, that I mean, that would be evidence of a disembodied mind. It would be it would be evidence that the the body isn't there isn't this strong correlation between the mind and the brain. It's the mind brain connection that's so surprising on naturalism. So at some so at some point at some point you would require some type of empirical naturalistic evidence for the existence of an unembodied brain. Right? You sure. need you need some type of scientific if it, if an unembodied a disembodied brain or mind would still have to causally interact with the physical world, right? Right. So so this is this is where I'm going to keep pushing and this is why I think you know I, I I'm not claiming to like come, have come up with like this the you know silver bullet against naturalism. But this is where I think it, it, it just it kind of unravels because all we're doing is kicking that causal can down the road. So now I, now I say, okay, now we come to it and say, okay, we have this evidence for disembodied mind. What's the best explanation for a disembodied mind, right? Well, one person can say it's God. It's the mind of God. You have, you have mind on theism, therefore God. And someone's going to say, well, no, oh, oh. because – Science has never shown that God. Exists. Why? Why are we inventing some, you know, invisible sky daddy to explain this when really all we need is a, a little bit more time? We don't know it's so the more humble position. So that's appealing to the history of science. So you could it could very well have been that the um, history of science was that supernatural explanations are the true explanations that science that God's a causal agent in the universe and that the history of the universe would have to take that into account. That's what you would predict on theism. So the evidence could have fallen that way. I don't think it is. See, I don't think it is. Um, uh, I I don't hold to... um, I think what was disproven by science is really kind of a pagan concept of God. Um, kind of this this um, God as a mega manufacturer, God as a tinkerer, God as um, uh, almost God as like a really big, powerful, smart man um, being involved in his you know clockwork. Um, yeah. I think what was what was disproven um, was that concept, um, which which interesting enough been again operating in classical theism, right? I've that's where I've been operating. We've we're on the same page there, right? Yeah. So, okay. so yeah. Okay. So, but but I think, um, and what's interesting again, a whole nother episode for a whole nother topic um, is I don't think that that's the biblical view of God. Um, I think that God actually did. I think the biblical view of God is that nature operates under normative processes. Um, you, you, what does that mean? What do you mean by normative processes? Uh, I, I think that that God actually set up set up uh, set up nature to function under natural law. To function under okay. under normative natural law, um, to to follow natural processes. You're throwing the word normative in there, which is an ethical term. Uh, nor- uh, normative in the sense uh, of what what um, uh, the like a, the normative operation of, of a natural law, not not in the ethical sense. Um, okay. So so I, and and I, I I've made this case elsewhere. Um, I actually think that is the biblical view. I, I don't think. Um, the biblical view is like um, uh, like we have in, in other pagans where uh, lightning is because God is angry. Um, rain is caused by uh, the procreation of a god and a goddess, right? That type of pagan conception, I think, is actually something specifically, and, and this again would be a whole different episode, I think it's something specifically that's undermined uh, throughout the biblical concept. 
um, largely because of my view of the way that polemics works throughout the Bible. Um, again, a whole different episode. So I'm simply not going to grant um, that science has undermined theism. I'm going to say that science has undermined that kind of that kind of conception of a that kind of pagan conception of a of a tinkering um, mega manufacturer, um, where um, th- those kind of those kind of mythical concepts that I agree is undermined. Um, I don't think that theism is undermined. So that 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 would be a position I wouldn't grant. However, even if I did, remember my my question is coming back to naturalism so conceived um, is unfalsifiable, right? Because no evidence could be brought against it that wouldn't be more more adequately explained by a naturalistic explanation because naturalistic explanation is going to be intrinsically more probable. Yeah, and, and, and every, every new piece of but every new piece of evidence and new piece of data we can we can kind of kick that question back and we can say well um, you know you have this evidence for unembodied mind okay because yeah, you were originally trying to say that always the true theory so say that again the, the simpler hypothesis isn't always the true hypothesis oh I agree so I agree. I, think, I don't think it's being fair to theism so much to say that well it can never be the best explanation because it's not the simplest explanation. And I, I wouldn't grant that at all. I think that, that evidence could certainly fall in favor of theism and um, right. be so a this, better explanation than naturalism. So this uh, is where I, I just, I'm going to keep pushing a little bit. I mean, we can, we can stop this at a sure. certain point. We're going to hit an impasse. You're pushing on theism <laughs> right now, so keep, uh, keep I, it I up. Don't, I, I don't think <laughs> I'm actually pushing on theism. I'm pushing, I think I'm pushing on the way that this naturalism is conceived. Because, because at that point, Again, at that point, if you're going to say, well, there could be evidence that's more probable on theism, my, my objection is, well, if you've conceived naturalism, if you conceptualize it the way that you have, no, it can't. Nothing could be, ev- nothing could be adequately said to be more probable on theism because every single piece of evidence is going to fall back on, well, why would you – because remember, n- none of it – so you're not directly – you don't have direct none of this is direct evidence of God, right? Because I, I think any conception of God, you're not going to have direct evidence of God. All of it's going to be kind of indirect evidence. It's going to be evidence that we can interact with in the natural world. And so it's always going to be natural evidence, right? So at that point, if you have natural evidence and you say, well, what's the cause of that evidence? A supernatural entity, which we have no direct evidence for, or a natural explanation, which is intrinsically more probable, which one's always going to win? Well, you could say, okay, well, there's going to be evidence um, that the evidence for an unbodied mind is more probable on theism. Well, how would you find that evidence? Well, it'd be part of the natural world. So is it a natural explanation? Even if the explanation is, I don't know, but science will find out one day. Well, no, because, because you could have intentional explanations. So we explain intentional uh events all the time so i if 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 it if it turned out that you know prayer was efficacious you know that's something that's a that's a causal interference in the interference that's not the right word (laughs) a causal interaction that's the word i meant to use causal interaction with the universe 
And so that's something that we, if, if you're if you're a causal agent in the universe, then you're you're available for for evidence for explanation. We can we can apply theism as as a good explanation. Uh, another example would be something like biological evolution. Well, well before we go to evolution, let's do the prayer one. So let, let me let me use it. At, so okay, that's, sure. that's what we get. Go so ahead. Sure. so we'll, we'll come back. Yeah, so we'll come back to the the biological evolution. So if let's let's imagine that we did a prayer study and and and, and uh, you know it, it un, uncategorically or it categorically was a successful prayer experiment, which by the way sure. I concede the the experiments are are, are less than helpful. Uh, if it worked, right? Why why would it be intrinsically more probable to posit God than it would be to say okay? Well, we know that mental states can affect physical states, right? So we, that's we, all, you're already appealing to a, a new piece of evidence. So you were talking about the a priori consideration, but now you've already appealed to evidence, right? Because because you're saying I, I'm I'm asking the explanation for the evidence, right? You brought up the, you said there might be evidence for the existence of God. That evidence would be a successful prayer study, right? Yeah, that would certainly count in favor of theism. Right. I, so, I believe. Yeah. So I'm asking. Why that is? Because if we so, so you're saying it's it's more probable on theism when you have a successful prayer a prayer study that that would be evidence for God. I'm asking, okay, if we have conceived of naturalism as being intrinsically more probable, right? Why couldn't we say, well, again, appealing we're we're going to appeal to well, we have in science we have examples of. Uh, we know that mental states can affect physical states. We know depression can lead to sickness. Um, it can it can lead to uh, you know we we know that we know the causal arrow goes both ways between physical and mental, right? They're linked. They're clearly linked. It's controversial, but I agree with you. I would grant yeah. that there, well, there's I some mean, cause, causation. I, I, I don't typically game. talk about it. I suffer from from bouts of uh, of actual clinical depression. Uh, I, I I know that if I'm going through a depressed mood, I often will get sick afterwards physically sick um uh, there's there's i mean there's that's kind of anecdotal i know we can talk about other things but but we you know we have we have we have mental states that we do know manifest uh in physical the the, the causal arrow goes the other direction um I, I know it's controversial but i i think it's pretty um, manifest in most of our experience um we could look at that and could say well isn't it more probable that all that's happening is that there's that that we're in a natural world. We know that the mental can affect the physical, um, and maybe it's quantum weirdness. Who knows? But is it a naturalistic explanation in the natural world, which we already observe, more probable than positing the existence of an otherwise unproven God? Right? We have because on your view, we have we have we have all of this evidence for for science and natural explanations and all this kind of stuff. Uh, there's but very it little. It could have gone towards theism, so it didn't have to go towards naturalism. It could have gone to theism. That's my point. So if all that evidence, if you know, you've 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 got consciousness on the table, you've got supernatural explanations, you've got disembodied minds, you've got special creation. I mean, these are all, you know, if the evidential chips fell that way, that's what we would expect the universe to look like if theism was true. Those facts wouldn't be surprising, but they would be super surprising on nat naturalism. So, so I, I don't think you can take them kind of in a vacuum like that. You know, intrinsic probability is just, it's, it's one consideration. 
it's but if you if you're going to look at the whole picture, you're going to paint a huge you know evidential map. Um, I believe my position is that the chips fall in favor of naturalism, but they could have fallen in favor of theism, and I think I can give some pretty plausible accounts of how they could have fall, fallen in favor of theism. Yeah, so I, again, I, at that point, I just think we're going to be in an impasse, because I'm going to say, I think the chips have fallen. <laughs> I think this actually is the exact universe that we would expect to find. Um, awesome, and so that's where you would, you would bring those arguments forward, and that would that, that's the conversation that I'm really interested in, yeah. is seeing how that dialectic plays out. Yeah, so I, I still, I, I mean, we'll move on, because I, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I still, am, I still am not clear because we. You, you say we have to look at the entire picture. At one level, we have to paint the picture, right? You're talking about putting putting uh, uh, what do you say, marbles or seeds or whatever it was uh, on, onto I the scale. I think I said beans. I'm, I'm using beans. Paul Draper's examples. Um, uh, you're, you're still putting beans on the scales, right? So, so my question is, if you have this bean, this uh, unembodied mind, uh, or a prayer, a successful prayer study. Uh, you're deciding which scale to put it on, right? And so my question is, why decide to put it on the scale of theism if naturalism is intrinsically more probable, right? So if we're looking at it and we're saying, okay, I I have this might just might have better explanatory power. So truth isn't just a function of intrinsic probability. It's also a function of explanatory power. And so, if theism just has a better, has more explanatory power than naturalism, then in relative to that piece of evidence, natural theism is just the better explanation. And 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 the intrinsic probability comes in when you when when you look at it everything as a whole. So, um, I, I don't think that the intrinsic probability is is a defeater for theism's explanatory power. Good. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll move on. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I think we'll be at a, at an impasse on this one. Um, but so, okay. So moving on. And, and by the way, I agree. I think, I think explanatory power and explanatory scope, which is what you're kind of getting at with the entire picture. Does the one explanation explain multiple things? Um, I yeah. think that that is what, um, what leads me to, um, think, think that theism is actually, um, specifically Christian theism, um, is, is, uh, more probably, uh, true and correct. Um, Okay, moving moving on to to uh, to after that. So let's go back to um, let, let's get into some of that that interesting conversation um, that you you would like to get into about um, some of these these broader considerations. What what is it explanatory scope and power um, that you find uh, more plausible on naturalism? Um, so that's that could be a very very long answer. Um, we have we have about thirty minutes left to kind of transition. I think I think we'll, we'll um, get this. I, you know, if we run out of time, I'll have you it. back on. <laughs> yeah, but so. I'll, I'll just hit on a couple just for the sake of brevity, just because I, I don't. I, each time I present an evidence, I like to you know unpack it further because I just think that's that's just the better method. Um, so I, I mentioned physical matter earlier, and I mentioned disembodied minds, and I mentioned the success of science. So um, those those are three right there that I would I, I think fall squarely in favor of naturalism. Um, the other big the other two big ones that I think bear, are worth mentioning are um, non-resistant non-believers, which is uh, basically uh, divine hiddenness, 
and then obviously um, evil. So um, I think uh, the biological role of pain and pleasure, uh, the flourishing and languishing of sentient beings, and facts about triumph and tragedy um, make naturalism, I think naturalism explains those facts better than theism. And so I think those are really large um, chips that fall in favor of naturalism. Let, let's go. Let's go through. So I, I, I've already determined I'm going to have to have you back on <laughs> uh, to, to go through to go through to go through some of these things. Uh, let's let's leave off uh, divine hiddenness uh, and the problem sure. of evil for now. Um, I think that that will be uh, those are probably uh, two full hours or more in itself um, to, to talk about. To talk yeah, about I was a little hesitant to get too deep. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, I mean, those are, we'll, we'll probably have to come back to, uh, moral, moral arguments, uh, as well. Um, at, at some point, um, I don't think we'll get to them here. Um, but I, but I do want to talk about, cause this, this came up in your conversation, um, on, on the show that I heard you on. Um, and I, and I thought it was interesting, um, but this, this is also one of the areas that I thought was uh, somewhat problematic. So you said, you said the success of science, um, was more probable um, on naturalism. And I, and I thought that that was an interesting claim um, and obviously not one that I really agree with. So I was hoping you could hash that one out a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, basically, again, to kind of rehash how the arguments uh, formulated, I'm looking at the history of science. So there's, there's basically a, a core set of data that I'm trying to explain, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so the, 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 the data that I, the evidence that I'm trying to explain is our universe seems intelligible to us. Um, in our quest to understand the universe and uh, the physical science, uh, physics, chemistry, geology, biology, um, they've been extremely successful without making any reference to supernatural causes. Um, I guess, in other words, physical science is extremely successful without taking God's actions into account. Um, there are libraries full of scientific knowledge that never appeal to supernatural explanations, and the history of science contains numerous examples of naturalistic expl- explanations replacing supernatural ones and, and no examples of supernatural explanations replacing naturalistic ones. And so that's the body of evidence that that I'm offering up, saying naturalism is a better explanation than theism. And so I've got to come up with some sort of antecedent reasoning for both cases. And so um, naturalism entails that the universe is causally closed, as I said earlier. And uh, any true explanations must be naturalistic rather than supernatural. And so consequently, we would expect scientific accounts to never have to appeal to supernatural causes. Um, the, the success of science without invoking the supernatural doesn't seem surprising at all if naturalism is true. But by contrast, on theism, um, God plays an active role in the universe. Uh, uh, we have antecedent reason to think that he would have to act as a causal agent in the history of the universe. So consequently, we would expect scientific accounts of that history to have to take his, account, his, his actions into account. Um, in other words, if theism is true, then it should be the case that successful scientific explanations are supernatural explanations. Um, and so I think that the success, the, the, success, the success of science in that sense is very surprising if theism is true. And so that's it. Using those antecedent reasoning, um, I put 
the chip in favor of naturalism. Yeah, to me, see, to me, that was one of my one of my disagreements with you. Um, probably not surprising. We're gonna we're gonna disagree on a lot of things, but I've I've really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, so when when I what I find really interesting is that when we when <coughs> when we actually study the history of science. Um, it actually didn't, and I'm not one of those people that's going to say, "Oh, you know, Christianity caused science." Um, but I do think that it that it, it is very interesting. The history of it. What's uh, that? I think it certainly influenced its history. Oh, uh, I, I agree. I think it absolutely influenced yeah. history, and I think it is interesting that it that it did that it did really arise within Christendom. And, Absolutely, and and largely for theistic considerations. Uh, so you, you, you Newton had a, was a famous theist. What's that? Newton, Isaac Newton was a famous theist. Most of the early science, I mean, uh, I mean just, most of them were. So yeah. Uh, so what what was interesting though was they actually um, they looked around and they said it, it's precisely it's some, what I, what I find so interesting is the, the history of it um, doesn't actually agree with you. So the history of it was on theism. We actually expect the universe to be orderly, uh, to function under to uh, under law, to function under consistent law, to be regular, um, for for our for it to be intelligible to us. What's interesting is is um, a lot of kind of the philosophy of science coming out, and some of the questions coming out is why is the universe intelligible to us? Why 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 do our minds map onto reality? Um, in the way that we do, why why is nature coherent to to mind? Um, uh, and, and so I, I'm not actually I'm not actually convinced um, that that having an orderly, uh, law abiding, uh, regular um, nature uh, and natural law um, really is something that would be more probable on naturalism um, than it would on theism. Uh, I, I'm not convinced that on naturalism we wouldn't expect um, pretty much everything to be governed by quantum weirdness. Um, so, so, so that's that's one of my one of my one of my question one of my kind of uh, initial protestations against that is that's that's just actually not um, historically um, how most people have have viewed um, well not how most but how many people especially early on and what what kind of spawned. Um, or at least drove um, the advancements of science um, uh, at kind of the underlying assumptions. The other one, which I kind of hit on earlier, uh, is is really I, I, I would challenge and say uh, the the distinction here is between the success of science and the success of paganism, um, uh, which which has a very specific religious understanding. Um, of of God um, being the causal, being the immediate causal agent of all factors of reality, um, which again I would just argue isn't uh, a, a, a Christian or even really a broadly theistic understanding um, a, a, of God. So it, it doesn't actually surprise you would, you would, me. You would grant that God is a causal agent in the universe. I would absolutely grant that God is a causal yeah. agent, but I wouldn't okay. expect to find God by looking at because so so science looks at the 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 again I'm going to use the word normative normal uh, regular uh, processes all things being equal right um, that Let's that use the word mechanistic because normative is a is a is an ethical term and I think what you're trying to say is the mechanistic laws that govern the natural order. Not sure I'm happy with mechanistic, uh, but I'll but I'll I'll bite my tongue a little bit on some of the, the qualifiers that I'd want for that for some probably some obvious reasons, uh, but but we'll use we'll use the mechanistic, um, 
uh, you know, law, law driven. <laughs> teleological be a, a better word? Uh, I would be happy with teleological. I think a lot of atheists. I think a lot of atheists would. I, I think a lot of atheists would would be uncomfortable with teleological for the same reasons I'm uncomfortable with mechanistic. Uh, so, um, but How about but intentional teleology. Yeah, so I think I think uh, I think we kind of know kind of what we're going for though. Okay. Um, so I, I I you know I I I'm not convinced that on um, uh, that God being a causal agent is in any way. Um, contrary, undermining, in conflict with um, a mechanistic, teleological, however you want to say it, law, law, orderly, um, uh, natural world. Um, so, so if you think of like a Venn diagram, um, I, I think you can put that little uh, mechanistic universe as a, as a, in, a smaller circle, completely encompassed uh, by by theism. Um, and, and it's housed c- completely comfortably. It wouldn't be housed comfortably under kind of that prior pagan conception what, of God as, what, as the immediate what, uh, causal agent. So I would ask, uh, uh, pose a question to you. Sure. Um, what antecedent reasoning on theism do we have to think that God would create a universe that operates through natural laws? Um, again, so this would this would come under if we're talking not just about supernaturalism but about theism. Um, we're talking about um, uh, we're talking about a, a mind. Uh, th- and again, this is going to go into kind of uh, how you list off some some uh, some other um, qualifications. This proposition. Some of the propositions. Well, I'm, getting, I'm getting bare theism right now plus this story. Well, that, that sounded bad. That sounded bad. I'm sorry. That's not. I didn't. No, mean I, it like I know. That. I know what you meant. Plus the the, the attachment. So, so yeah. I, I'm going to say no, uh, because I think bare theism. I think um, I think uh, the, the the classical conception of an omnipotent, uh, you know, omnimax uh, being, kind of the, the theism of Planinga's uh, uh, maximal great being, um, uh, is the best explanation for things like um, the existence of. Um, uh, mind, consciousness, laws of logic, all that kind of stuff. Well, what's entailed by that um, is that you have uh, an omnimax, omnirational being, right? Um, I think that 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 is that, that that's a prior that that's an antecedent reason to think that such uh, you know such a being uh, you know you have an, a, basically an immutable, omnirational being would create. Um, uh, a law-abiding, ordered, teleological, mechanistic, however, whatever phrase we want to use, um, creation. If such a but being, why? if such a being would create, well, but why? Why would you, why would he pick that kind of universe? Because I mean, keep in mind, like through the history of you know, William Blake rejected Isaac Newton's conception of you know a mech, you know a me- mechanistic universe. He was like God wouldn't do it just wouldn't do it like that so you're saying that there's antecedent reason on theism to think that god would want to create a world that obeyed by natural laws but i i don't follow that inference why what what piece of reasoning allows me to make that jump right so it, if, if you have a... what, what about theism would make me predict a law i think that's the best way for me to ask the question yeah so if you have an omnirational being uh i think it's more <laughs> probable that that being would create something in line 
with a rational reality that reflects its own nature. Uh, I think that that's a more probable position. I mean, but but again, this is where, again, um, partially related to my skepticism of Bayes, uh, I'm going to come back and say, well, what is it on naturalism um, that makes you think that you're going to get uh, uh, an orderly, uh, intelligible, law-abiding? Why is that more probable on naturalism? What- well, I don't, I don't, I don't think we we do know that. I think that's a that's a presupposition of any inquiry into knowledge. Um, I mean, you know, worst case scenario, we could just have, you know, disconnected hanging forms of understanding in different language games. So we're not guaranteed that any quest for knowledge will yield results. Right. So but why why is the success of science uh, more? Why is that? Why would we expect that more on naturalism uh, than we would on an omnirational theism? Right. My point my point is that, I mean, no matter what we do, we're going to we're. We're really justifying. Uh, we're really justifying our own internal assumptions to each other that we don't agree with, right? Well, I, I no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so at all. I think I'm appealing to reasons. So I think I'm, I'm. I don't think these truths in any way depend on my, uh, on me at all or my assumptions. So I, I think that if if you're going to say um, that so, science so- is extremely successful. Without taking naturalistic, you know, making naturalistic assumptions, I think that's a that's objectively that's a fact that gives us a reason to think that theism is false and naturalism is true, at least prima facie. Yeah, and again, I'm just going to fundamentally disagree. I mean, I, so I can think of analogies. I can think of you know, if we have a, you know, and and. Uh, I, I guess omni musical doesn't make sense. If we have a perfectly musical composer, right? What do we expect that composer? What type of music do we expect that composer to make? Do we expect him to just make a cacophony of random noises that makes no sense whatsoever, or do we picture? Or do we do we expect them to make a masterpiece of music? Uh, I think we expect them to make a masterpiece of music, right? right? So, so if we if we have an omni artistic painter. Right? Do we expect them to make uh, some type of masterwork of art, or do we expect them to make something that is just literally, utterly random? I, I mean, I, I would point out you do have some painters like Pollock, but even at that point, it's not actually utterly random. But you would expect it to be aesthetically beautiful. Uh, or impactful, right? Because some art is intentionally ugly. Um, so, Fair, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So, so part of me is going to say, well, on theism, if you have an omni-rational being – what type of creation do we expect them to make? A right. beautiful one. And, and a rationally driven one, right? I mean, if we're, if we're talking about that, we're talking about a, a, rationally, <laughs> ordered, a rationally ordered universe, right? In well, line with I thought that. we were talking aesthetic properties. I'm sorry. I, I think I, uh, we jumped and I missed the jump. Yeah, we were so, talking about aesthetic properties. So if we're going to say that he's, he's a being that you know, exemplifies beauty, so what would we predict about the universe? Well, we would we would predict it to be beautiful, right? To to exemplify, you know, aesthetically good things, right? Yeah. So, but it, but at the same time, so this this is where I'm going to say because you were saying, well, what's your reason for that? I'm going to say, well, if we have one that exemplifies reason, right? You have an omni-rational yeah. being. What type of universe do are, are are we expecting them to create? A rational one, but that doesn't mean that it'd be one that obeys natural laws. 
it, it, but but it would be it, so. Could you have could you have a rationally ordered universe um, that isn't uh, to some sense to some degree uh, orderly? I mean, I mean, really, if we're if we're talking about yeah, natural laws, because you I, said quantum mechanics, so it could be a quantum universe, and that's, I mean, there's, that doesn't impact rationality. I mean, uh, God could have made a quantum universe, right? He, he could, he could, but but you could have, you could have the. He can do anything that's logically possible. Yeah, so you you have to. So here we're going to say, well, it could, you're falling back on it could have been. Right, so we're you're, we're not saying what it could have been, right? So so uh, what what is more probable on naturalism? Well, it, and I could always suggest, well, it could have been this, it could have been this, it, which you would have to enter into. That's the a possibility to. that's not ruled out by the evidence. Cor- so I, correct, right? So you're saying, but you're saying, what prior probability do we have to expect it on this? And I'm going to say, well, I think reason. it's more probable to expect an omni-rational being to create a rationally ordered universe. That that's that's what we would expect now. Could he have created something different? Sure. Could the omni-musical composer have created a cacophony of terrible sounds? Why does a rational order order entail a natural order? I I think that's where where I'm losing. (laughs) A rational order doesn't entail a natural order. Yeah, so I'm actually uh, uh, let's let's save that in my pocket because I think that's a bigger problem for you than it is for me. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, especially when we start, you know, if we do, probably not in this episode, maybe in another one. Uh, if we do get around to the question of um, uh, the laws of logic, I could, I could, my easily question for you is, uh, why is a natural ordered one uh, logically consistent? Uh, why is a why is a naturally ordered universe logically ordered? Um, I think this is a much more fundamental problem for you, actually. Okay. Um, That'd be so, a great conversation to have. Yeah. So, but so 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 coming back though. So, I, I'm still not clear why the success of science is more is then more probable on naturalism. Again, remember we're talking here. The, your whole thing is that it's more probable on remember naturalism one, right? With yep. no with no with no propositions attached to it because that's the one you're saying is intrinsically more probable. Right. Yep. So, why is the success of science more probable on naturalism one? Um, be uh, so. I'll lay that antecedent reasoning out again. Um, naturalism entails that the universe is causally closed. Remember, that's what I've, I I set out at the beginning. That if if the if the physical explains the mental, then that is causally closed. So that implies, that entails that any true explanations must be naturalistic and not supernaturalistic. If all the causes are coming from inside the universe and none are coming outside, then it follows that no true explanation can be a supernatural one. And so then uh, we, we, we can see that naturalistic accounts would never have to appeal to supernatural causes. And so the, the success of science is not surprising in the least on naturalism. That's the way it has to be. You would expect natural explanations to replace supernatural ones. But that's I, think, exactly. I think you're bearing an assumption, right? Sure. You're, you're already assuming a universe where science works. You're right. I, so that was laid out in my evidence to be explained. I said that our universe seems intelligible to human persons. Right. So, given given that fact, that's we we've already taken that as a fact. So, so, 
but but so this is why this is why I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning where I say I think you're smuggling in naturalism two at this point. You're not dealing with naturalism one anymore. You're dealing with what? naturalism two, which is naturalism one with the proposition that the universe is uh, intelligible attached to it. Uh, no, that's the piece of evidence that I'm bringing forward. That's as part of that's the evidence to be explained. Right, but you're you're building so the success of science has to come along and say because you have to say the success of science is more is more probable is to be expected on naturalism one. And so that and so that's you are already assuming right there that the universe is intelligible. So when I say that the, that scientific explanations are always replacing supernatural ones, I've already assumed that it's intelligible because I've had the naturalistic explanations replace the supernatural ones. Yeah, and I would go back and say, again, they haven't replaced supernatural ones. They've replaced pagan ones. I think that that caveat's very important. Well, well, so it, not it, supernatural in, in the sense that I... So in the sense that I uh, use supernatural, where the mental explains the physical, theism, simpliciter, certainly entails that. Yeah, so... That that's the conception I'm working with. I'm I'm still working within the classical conception of God, so I'm not I'm not appealing to a pagan conception of God. I'm still using theism simpliciter. Yeah, and I and again I think you're you can't conflate paganism with 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 broad theism. Absolutely, and I and so I'm not appealing to that broad paganism. Yes, yeah, so, so I the, gave I gave antecedent reasoning as well. For theism, I, you know, if theism's true, and this not if paganism's true, but if theism's true, God plays an active role in the universe. You granted that, so we have antecedent reason to think that He would have to act as a causal agent in the history of the universe. We would expect scientific accounts of history to have to take those actions you know, into account. You're making that. I think that's massive jumps, right? Science can only deal with repeatable phenomenon. Uh, really, when when we're dealing with the natural world. Well, again, I, so so the yes. efficacy of prayer. That so, was, so that ju- but just because I've conceded that God is a causal agent, doesn't mean that I said that He's an immediate cause for repeatable uh, mechanistic realities of nature. You see the difference so, between those two? Say that again. Just because I've just because I've agreed that God is causally interactive. Uh, with nature doesn't mean I think that he's the 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 primary cause, the first cause, uh, the you know the the immediate cause um, for uh, the mechanistic um, law-like nature he, of reality. I'm not saying anything in particular. I'm saying in general, just our history, the the causal history of our universe, we would have to take him into account. So, uh, yeah, what, what yes. I was going to say about bio- biological evolution earlier was that on the, like. We could have been specially created. It could have been the case that evolution wasn't true, and I, that would that would that would be a a chip that fell right in favor of theism. Naturalism would have no way of explaining that, uh, and so that could be a way that God would be a causal agent in the history of the universe that science would have to account for. Science would have to say, "Look, there was this specially crazy special creation event." I, I, so here, here's my problem is that because naturalism also functions on the assumption of methodological naturalism. Naturalism is trying to find it, – it's, it's saying we're science. not going to allow supernatural explanations full stop That's out of science. the gate. That's science. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not advocating a scientific naturalism here. 
I, I, again, maybe this is one of the dangers of using the word naturalism. Again, well, yeah, I'm using the, the no, hypothesis. No, no. Yeah, I understand. But I'm saying if you're going to appeal to the success of science, well, science is only looking for the things that it can explain by natural explanations. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that, that method has been successful is surprising on theism. I don't think it's that surprising. Method have, it, it, that method could have, methodological naturalism could not work at all. I mean, that could very well be the case. That me, that that methodological naturalism just is a dead end as a method. But that's not the case. It's extremely successful. Yeah, but that could have been the case on 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 any other you know uh, any other natural universe as well, right? It, it, this is this is the thing. Methodological naturalism, natural and 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 science only works in an orderly universe, right? If this was another natural universe, a non-ordered universe, a random universe, uh, you know, one governed completely by quantum weirdness, uh, science wouldn't have worked either. Hey, well, why, why wouldn't it? So we're, we're saying some kind of science fiction-y thought experiments here, so yeah. our answers might sound a little science fiction-y, but if you're saying that, we, you know, our universe at a local level acted like quantum mechanics, well then we would have a whole different constitution of, you know, cognition and how we obtain truths. And, you know, who knows, we might not even have sensory experiences in such a world. Right. So, that, so that, that's my point, though. So there, the, you're, you're, you're already at a point of naturalism, too. You're not at a point of naturalism, one. So because at that point, science is only successful when you get a universe that's orderly. The physical would – I'm not at naturalism, too, because the physical would still explain the mental. If we had mental capacities in a, in a, in a physical universe that just only obeyed yeah. quantum mechanic laws, if there was a mental reality in it, naturalism would still be the hypothesis – that the physical explain the mental. So here's the point. Here's the point that I'm driving at, though. You're so you're you're using a ladder to climb up to a roof and then kicking away the ladder and saying, "I did, you know, we got here all on our own." So, so science only yeah, works. Reason. Science only works uh, in an orderly universe, right? And you're saying science is more probable on naturalism. But I'm going to say, well, an orderly universe that, that's governed by natural law, that's governed by laws of logic, that's intelligible, that has consciousness. Remember, in order for us to even do science, we have to have consciousness, which is a being that, sure. that you agree. So in order to even do science, you have to have these major buckets that are, and again, I would have to argue for this, are more probable on theism. Right, because because having a- I'd like to, I want you to develop that argument. That's the argument I'm interested in because I want to know what is your antecedent reasoning for thinking that natural law, an ordered universe, is more probable in theism. Why is theism the better explanation? Why 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 is having a masterpiece of music more probable on a master composer? Well, you, so that, what, you, what antecedent you, reason saying, do you have on naturalism for there to be an ordered universe? What ante, what what is the antecedent? I, reason I, I told you, I think I don't. That's an assumption yeah. that I make. I, I certainly, I you're the one offering it as evidence right now. You're saying that a natural, the natural order is evidence for theism. Theism better explains that natural order than naturalism does. Yeah. Well, the, I don't think I don't even think that the natural order needs explanation. So you're the one that's 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 saying that it can be explained by theism better than naturalism. See, this this is where this is where I'm going to go back and I'm say, well, I think you're then just kind of doing verbal conjuring tricks, right? And again, not to be, it's just that's just what's happening. So in order for you to have the success of science, 
you have to have an intelligible universe. In order to have an intelligible universe, you have to have uh, a universe that's governed by, by, by natural law and governed by logic. That's, that's the jump I don't follow. So, in so order, why, does the, why does the, why does the rash, rational order entail the natural one? I didn't say it entailed. I said you have to have both. To explain that. that. That's the relationship I'm interested in. So, so okay. Going back. In, in order, so in order to have science, you ha- the universe has to be intelligible. Yeah, I think we agree on that. Sure. What does it for, mean for the universe to be intelligible? Uh, there are cr- rational creatures in the universe that can respond, are aware and can respond to reason. So we have to How's be, that? what does it mean to be rational? To be able to be aware and respond to reasons. What, is it, what does it mean to, to be rational and to, to respond to reasons? Does it require? Uh, does it require logic? Well, sure. Logic. Uh, what do you mean? What requires logic? Are there necess- Are there logical truths? No. Just in order for us to be to be reasonable, are we employing logic? Well, yeah, because okay. logic is necessarily so, true. So, in order for the the universe to be reasonable, to be intelligible, does it have to be logically ordered for reasonable beings to 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 have it be intelligible? Sure. It does. The universe doesn't entail any contradiction. So, so, so then at this point, you're you're granting that the universe is uh, logically ordered. Y- yes, there is a logical structure to the universe. Okay. Yes. So the universe is logically ordered. So that that's my position. I, I mean, the, th- that's how I got there. So why? What? What reason do we have? What? What prior uh, reason do we have on naturalism? To think that we would that a, that a logically ordered universe would be more probable on naturalism than on theism. It, it, it's not evidence for either of them because logic itself is necessary. It has so we we again remember when we started off we granted that uh, naturalism and theism were both logically possible. So we've already granted logic. We've already that's that's part of our no concept- no, 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 no 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 no. I granted that it was internally consistent. I didn't say that it can account for, for, there, for well, logic. If you're saying internally consistent, you're already appealing to certain logical principles there. I agree, because uh, I think, we, enough, because I think we live all, in a logical universe. Yeah, but already already having a conversation, we're also uh, you know, taking uh, laws of identity into... into I agree. And those are logical truths. Which I, again, which I think are better explained on God. So, so I, don't I, think need, I don't think it needs an explanation. So you're saying that, 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 that logic needs an explanation. I'm saying that it only has one truth value, and that's true. It's, it can't be false. If we're, if we're having a rational discussion, if we're employing reasons, we've already presupposed logic. Well, it's, well, it's on the table. Yeah. It's necessarily true. So, so, there is but, no but explanation. I, it's not I, evidence for anything. This is where I think the contract <laughs> tricks come in. I just flat out disagree that we can get away with appealing to logic as a brute fact. Why? I, why so why? 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 Why can't you do that? There's brute fact. God can't do what's logically impossible. Sure. So, so that's a brute fact. So. On- so okay. So. Uh, uh, so then, would you would you allow me to get away with saying, "Well, God just exists, and I don't need to explain why." Sure. Uh, so you would you would that's you would a valid, say that, that's a valid argument for you. So if you would say it's, it's not an argument, that's a proposition. So if you brought that proposition forward and said that you know God exists necessarily, 
okay, in what sense do you mean he exists necessarily? Do you mean logically? I, you know, broadly pre- logically necessary? Metaphysically necessary? Physically necessary? I'm not saying the and proposition that God exists necessarily. I'm just saying that the proposition God exists axiomatically. It's true. I don't need to explain why. It's just true. It's, no, pr- it's a brute fact. That. Why? No, I, because I think you could ask the question, can God, God not exist? Okay. Can, so, so, so first can, off, you can laws of logic not exist. You've already made a category mistake. God is a concrete thing, whereas a law of logic is an abstract thing. So you're already comparing apples and oranges when you make that comparison. Those two propositions are not at all alike. So you're assuming that a brute fact can then uh, just be assumed. Uh, sorry, an abstract object can then just be assumed as a brute fact because it's a different category. So abstract. So in my view, abstract. You know, universals exist necessarily. Can you justify so they, that? Well, yeah, I, I, I appealed to the Quine Putnam indispensability argument. Um, well, that, I, can, I mean, that's, I that could be very, illegal. I mean, I can, that could just be a useful fiction. I mean, indispensability so I can, is just, it's useful. I can, well, we can't do without I, it. I, I agree we can't yeah, do without it. it. I think there's more to that uh, argument than, than I was than you're making out there to be because um, fictionalism doesn't work in that argument. Well, no, um, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying it's fictionalism. I, I, but, but, but the indispensability is basically we can't function without it. So I, I could say that yellow, uh, here's an argument for it. I'll give a, just a brief argument for universals. Um, yellow is a color. Um, would you say that's true? Sure. So if that proposition is true and we need a truth maker, that proposition can only be true if there is a color called yellow that commits us to the existence of that universal. Therefore, universals exist. And if yellow is a color in every possible world, then it holds that it's necessarily true that that universal obtains. And so that's an argument. That's 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 an argument right there for the existence of universals. Yeah, but I think I think you're relying on an, an, on basically again just a, a, a metaphysical conjuring trick to get you to the axiom to begin with. And I, and I'm just going to ask. So so I'm. I mean, I, th- I want you to describe this metaphysical conjuring trick then, because because to me, I don't. I, I, it doesn't seem like that at all. So, that's, so if that's, I if I were to ask you what is so let's say let's say law law of non contradiction is universal, right? Do you agree the law of non contradiction is universal? Absolutely. What yeah. is the, what is the law of non contradiction? It's a it's a true proposition about. Um, it's a logical truth. Is it physical or is it mental? No, no, it's not. It's not either. It's neither. It's abstract. Physical, uh, physical, so, and mental all exist in time. Those are concrete things. So, well, you, you, I, that, that's mm, the move phenomenalism. Disagree that that's mental is, is in time. Uh, can 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 can, enough, can, can the law yeah. of non contradiction exist apart from minds? Yes, it is. It's not, it's not dependent on minds. It's true regardless of if there were no minds. The law of non-contradiction would still be true. Okay. I, no minds at all, and that's clearly a logically possible state of affairs. I don't actually think it is. I think it exists only in the mind of God. Uh, I don't. I don't think it exists apart from. So that from would be mind. a theory. So that would be one of that would be your theory to account for universe. Well, no. I mean, I, I, I can keep going on it. So, uh, so you're going to say that naturalism is a closed system? Yeah. It's not. It's not. Yes. Okay. Uh, does does the law of non contradiction operate inside or outside of the, law, the the natural world? It's not a concrete thing. The universe is a concrete thing, so it okay. doesn't. Universal like abstract truths don't exist at any time or any place. Okay. They're principles. You're not going to run into the color yellow. You're not going to bump into the color yellow on the street. You're not going to bump into a law of logic. 
I just think I think you're making a category mistake there. Well, no. It's, well, <laughs> I'm I'm getting to a point. I don't actually think I'm making a category mistake, but uh, because I'm not asking. Besides, the point. Um, well, you're saying inside or outside of the universe. You're talking about a relation to the universe. Would, would, be, would the law, does the law of non-contradiction transcend the the natural the natural? And I say universe in in the sense of it could be multiverse, whatever. The entire state of existence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if so, if, if that helps you understand the concept, okay. then yes. So so uh, does does the um, how do I say this? Does the natural cosmos um, abide by the law of non-contradiction? Yes, it has necessarily has to. Even though, even though the law of non-contradiction uh, it transcends uh, the natural universe. Yes, it it underpins it. It's it's the most. Those are these are the fundamental truths. Okay. So so is is the naturalism really a closed system? Yes. Even though you have the even though it's you have law of non-contradiction, which is transcendent it's, it's, to. It's causally closed. Again, the, uh, an abstract truth not, is causally inert. The number seven doesn't cause anything. Okay. Uh, could the law of logic doesn't cause anything. Uh, it, doesn't, it, doesn't cause. it doesn't cause, but it, it definitely... Ha- so, well, uh, this, that'll get into something else. Could the universe exist and not exist? No, because that would be a contradiction. Okay, so it abide it abides by the law of non-contradiction, even though the law of non-contradiction transcends. Sure, I, it's, it's rather rough language, but I, I think it gets the point across. Okay, so uh, what direct evidence do you have then that the law of non-contradiction isn't embodied in a mind that is also transcends the natural world? Uh, that's I don't think I understand the question. What evidence do you have? that the law of non-contradiction, because we, we, we have, I mean, I, I'm going to go so far as to say, um, we don't have any evidence, uh, of laws of logic apart from minds. Um, so any possibility that we throw on the table has already presupposed the laws of logic. I agree. Period. There's no, there's no possible scenario in which we could imagine where those laws didn't apply. Okay. So our, our laws, it's not evident for anything. Our laws of logic are the, are these, um, um, uh, transcendent immaterial objects. Are they, um, are they entities or are they principles of true thought? Principles of true thought. Or entities. Is it, so, is it an entity or is it, is it, well, I mean, just yeah, what is it? Is it an entity? Is it a, is it a natural law? Is it a print? Is it, or is it a principle of thought? I'm going to go. So you're using all the, these are very nebulous terms that could all mean, have different meanings in different senses. I, I mean, you can, yeah. you can, you can define it to make your concept clear if that's helpful. Uh, let me, let me think about that because I want to be able to, because I can, again, universals, I can tell you what they're not. It's very difficult to tell you what a universal is, though. Um, I can give you examples of universals, like shapes and propositions and principles. So um, you would you would agree that you can't bump into a principle. I agree. I can't also bump into it at a triangle in the abstract. Exactly. So does a try. Do we ever have an example of a triangle in the abstract existing apart from a mind, or do we only have the, the concept of triangle in the mind? So just, I already object to the language of saying existing in a mind. You're, you're, you're talking about in a place, as if it has some sort of spatial location. 
Uh, I'm, not, I'm not speaking spatially. I'm speaking conceptually. So well, do, do, we, do we have any evidence? Well, I don't know what you mean by dis- I don't know what you mean by disembodied mind. I have absolutely no experience of an abstract, uh, causally efficacious mind housing an abstract truth. I, I just don't even know how to make sense of that concept. So, so okay, so what? So that, that's what I'm getting at. So, do you have any experience of a universal triangle? The the, the universal of a triangle. Well, uh, yeah, let's, I let's call it an equilateral triangle. To be of specific. my of my rational intuitions and my my mind's eye. So you, you, know, so you have, I, I have the concept of a triangle in my mind. That, that's the answer to my question. Then, so the only experience that you have of this abstract concept of a, of a triangle is within your mind. Sure, that's true of all my experiences. Okay. So, do you have do you have any? Is there any evidence of the existence of the the absolute of a triangle existing apart from a mind? I don't. I just don't. I'm not. Ask that again. Do, do we have any evidence of these universal abstract existence of an equilateral triangle existing apart from a mind? So how could, if, if it's apart from any mind and you're saying, can we know about it? No, because it, it wouldn't be, a, it would be apart from the mind. You've well, already. No. Well, no, because I have the, con- I have the concept of a dog, but I also have experience of a real dog. Sure. Right. But your concept was formed probably initially from experiences with with dogs. Okay, so. uh, but that's fine. But 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 my my question is because you know I, I I'm I'm trying to 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 use your your epistemology a little bit to kind of show some some internal tensions, right? So do you, because because you're gonna you're going a lot of your comments are are going towards well um, we we don't you know like success of science. We only have experience of natural explanations superseding what I'm going to call pagan explanations, right? So what, what I'm going to do to you is I'm going to say, well, okay, let's use that same methodology, right? Do we have any experience of these universal abstract objects existing apart from minds? Or do we only have the experience of those, of those concepts existing within minds? What does it mean to have an experience of something existing separate from a mind? What do you, I cannot make any intelligible sense of that. Do, do you experience a, no, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not asking, do you experience the experience apart from your mind? Uh, that would be a, a strange question. I, I'm saying, do we have any experience of um, observing, interacting, um, Testing any 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 kind of conception of knowledge and understanding, um, abstract uh, universals. Um, yeah, that's or, the whole discipline of mathematics. Mathematics, logic, even ethics. I mean, these are these are our a priori truths. To you know, to an extent. Yeah. So okay. So let's do mathematics. The number two. Okay. Sure. Okay. Does the number two exist as a universal apart from a mind? Yes. What evidence because do you have of that? Because minds are physical things. Because minds are physical things. Ah. Is, that, is, is minds being physical things naturalism one or naturalism two? Naturalism one. Remember, because we said that all mental activity has a physical basis in embodied brains. That's a piece of evidence that I brought. So, again, if, if we're talking about universals, 
you're wanting to put them in a mind. You're wanting to move to nominalism. No, I'm not. Wanting, I'm not wanting to put them in a mind. Reduce, yeah, well, you are because you want to reduce it to something particular. No, I'm saying we have, we have. No, no. And by the way, you're doing the same thing. You're saying it can only be my, minds have to be nature, right? Because no, I, I'm saying that's I'm, what the evidence suggests. I'm, you're presupposing naturalism. So, so you're you're saying so what you're, reason you're, you're do I have? No, look at look at all the change. You're presupposing naturalism. And so, therefore, you're presupposing mind has to be brain, and so therefore, you're presupposing that uh, that these these things have to be physically derived. That's why I'm saying this is why I'm calling out that you're getting to naturalism two, and you're and you're equivocating that between that and naturalism one. So, your original question was, how do I know that these things exist separate from a mind? Well, I, I can give arguments for that. And one of the arguments I can give is that we know that my, that disembodied minds are improbable. That's, that's, that's an argument that I can give but in that, favor of that position. That would be circular. Now, that's, just one part, that's just one part of it. That would be because circular, I can say, well, it, it wouldn't be circular if you were saying, how do I know that these truths... You're asking a different question. No, it's you're circular. Saying, how do you how do you know that how do you know that they exist? How do you know that they're they not exist in mind? They don't exist in mind because mind is physical. So you you have to you can't just take you take you got to listen to the whole case. So uh, it, it what go, I'm saying I, is I'm not done. It goes around. So how do you know that exists in mind because mind is physical? Well, how do you know that mind is physical? Because naturalism. No. What, what evidence not, is there that's, for naturalism? That's the wrong answer. The wrong answer is not because naturalism. The answer is because all known mental activity has a physical basis in embodied brain. Ah, see, see, that's a fact. That's a that's a fact of neuroscience. I'm that's glad a you fact said it. Common for both of us. I'm glad you said it because that's the circle, right? How do you know that they that they only exist in so, embodied, so, embodied minds? So you haven't let me do the whole argument here. So you said your question was, how do you know? that abstract truths exist outside of a mind. So I can now then answer that question and say, okay, I have several different pieces that I can use to come to that conclusion. One of those pieces is I know that disembodied minds are improbable because that's something from neuroscience. So that can weigh in on this question. Uh, it's not. It's nothing to do with naturalism. It, That's it, just weighing in on this because you're saying it can't that, weigh in though. If that piece of evidence that you're trying to explain is part itself of the explanation for how you get to the mind being a natural, that so, that circle can't work. I, I I I don't think there's a circle there. I think I think what you're what what, what you're missing is I'm trying to answer that one question, and. The, what goes along with this is that the universal truths don't exist at any place. They are not in anywhere. They are know, not. How, they how don't do you, have a relation do to do a concrete that? thing because that? that's nominalism. So again, I've provided arguments for my Platonic view. So I'm not going to then come over to the nominalist side and say, okay, well, let's entertain the possibility of these universals being identical to a divine particular. I don't subscribe to that view. I'm not going over that because I think that universals exist necessarily. This is true whether theism or naturalism is true. That's how I would answer that question. But now a nominalist might answer it differently. Yeah. 
naturalism and theism have no bearing on that. They don't make any, none of the claims essential to naturalism and theism have a bearing on the existence of abstract objects. That's a completely separate question. So you can't, you can't get into a circle if you're talking two different questions. You're still going to approach the questions with the same bodies of evidence. As long as I'm keeping those two questions separate, I can't be arguing in a circle. I don't think you're keeping them as, as separate as you think you are. Uh, but we are, we're, we're running a little bit of time, so I want to move on a little bit. So, uh, so I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I know you're going to disagree with me. I'm going to flat out say uh, that success of science, not a win for your side. Because in order for there, to be, for in order there to be success of science, you already have to have an orderly universe. In order for there to be an orderly universe, I think that's intrinsically more probable on theism. Uh, you said you said also the existence of, and this is why this is where I think the circle is going to come out. You said the 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 lack of disembodied mind uh, is is a reason for it um, for naturalism. Um, why do you think that that's a piece that? Of, uh, I, I have successive science, and then I have disembodied. Well, I have. Uh, so uh, my my claim is that all known mental activity is a physical basis in embodied brains, and that disembodied minds are improbable because of that fact. That mind brain connection makes disembodied minds improbable for the same reason that I see the sunrise in. The east and set in the west over and over and over and over and over again, that gives me good reason to believe that it will always rise in the east and set in the west. Yeah. Similarly, if I see pro mental processes causing physical activity over and over and over and over and over and over again, I can make the strong inferential inference from the correlation that physical states cause mental states. And that mental states can't exist without that physical structure. That's the most probable series. Yeah. So this, and, and, I, and I would just go, I would just go back and say again, I'm not sure why that's more probable on naturalism than it is on theism. Um, why we'd expect one more than the other, um, uh, especially when I'm going to say, well, at this point, because I, I think this is where a common category mistake happens as well between uh, God and humanity. Um, it, it happens quite a bit, but but I'm not sure why we would expect um, any any different um, than than what it is. The physical explains the mental. Uh, so that's that's my hypothesis of naturalism. But, so if, but if mental explains, but if mental explains the physical, why would that mean that you don't have uh, embodied minds in the physical? You might, but that would be an uh, that'd be an additional uh, assumption tacked on to theism. Theism gives us no reason. To, uh, uh, to think that uh, minds would be physically dependent. I think they're analogous. So if you, if you have the physical entails the mental, right, you get to embodied minds, right? Because you have, you have physically embodied uh, mental minds, right? If you have the, the mental uh, leading to the physical, um, I'm not you sure. I'm not sure. Where, I'm not sure we're adding anything because because I think maybe maybe there's a buried enthenem in there that the mental always has to be the prior cause to the physical. I I don't see how that that how that would be. So it, it could be the case. It would uh, be if we had an immaterial soul. So if on on us you know substance dualist view, 
you know, a soul would causally interact with the body. It would use it, uh, as William Lane Craig says, as an instrument played. You know, a musician uses their instrument. The soul would use the body in a similar way. Yeah, well, part of, part of this could come from um, I have my own reservations about uh, about dualism. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just have my own my own reservations about dualism and the way that is presented a lot of times. Into it. I, I don't hold to the whole ghost in the machine type of concept. Anyways. Well, but theism in, entails the existence of at least one disembodied mind, God. I mean, you'd agree with that, I, right? I agree. So, but so that so what the, what I'm saying is, if 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 God, so in supernaturalism, if God is the the disembodied mind, he, that is the supernatural causes the natural. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah, so the disembodied totally. mind is the only disembodied mind. The supernatural is the only disembodied mind. If that yeah. leads to natural. And within natural is basically the same thing that happens on naturalism, where you have the natural giving rise to embodied minds. I don't, I, I just, I don't follow. That's more probable on naturalism than on supernaturalism, because either way, you're still getting the same natural out. You're still getting the same universe outcome. Does that make sense? I'm not following. I'm sorry. So, so. Um, uh, it'd be like saying, so, so I live on the, I live on the West coast. Um, and you can, from where I am, you could get to, uh, you know, you could get to Santa Monica basically, um, in a couple different routes, all about the same distance. Right. So if I say, well, I can get to Santa Monica by taking the 10 or I can get to Santa Monica by taking the four or five, they're both going to take me about 45 minutes Therefore, you know, on one conception, Santa Monica has the Ferris wheel on the pier. On the other conception, therefore, Santa Monica doesn't have the Ferris wheel on the pier. It's a weird analogy, I know, but let me explain it. So I, it's not clear to me why naturalism, where you have the natural leading to the mental. Um, physical, physical. Sorry, sorry lead, the physical emerging. leading to the, to the mental. Um, why that's any different than the the supernatural or the mental leading to the physical because in there I, I don't think we're bound to the assumption that the mental always has to lead to the physical so once you get the physical well part of what we're talking about when you get to that point could just be embodied minds right like like i i just i don't understand so so if you have natural leading to this universe as we find it or you have supernatural leading to this universe as we find it they both arrive at embodied minds within this universe so i don't think i don't think theism predicts embodied minds at all i think it it, it predicts disembodied minds immaterial souls uh, uh, souls that survive death yeah, I'm not sure that that's the case. Well, and part of this is going to so uh, part of this is going to come back to my, my one of my ma major pet peeves about American evangelicalism. Um, we don't live on in heaven as disembodied souls. That's not the biblical picture. Um, we, I'm not dealing with the biblical. I'm dealing with the theism simpliciter here. Yeah. So, so but, but but I'm just going to I I I I don't understand why theism uh, would require that we live on in disembodied souls either. You, I mean, you could, you could have uh, really on basic theism. Um, we could all die. We, I mean, we could. All, there, there are, there are material theistic materialists. I mean, we could, we could all live. I mean, theism, God could, could make us, and we could live and die, and that's it. So I, I don't see why on theism. It, it, this is why I, I think I you're kind of importing in some. 
that, that would be an additional assumption to theism that God just creates people to live and die. Well, how is that more of an assumption so, than the assumption that God well, because, would create disembodied souls? Again, because this goes back to my point about uh, uh, theism doesn't even predict a material world. Theism, theism, it, Na- naturalism theism, doesn't predict a material world either, though. It sure does. It entails a material universe. It it, it, it entails material space time. That's part of what it means to be naturalism, is that there's this physical, material space-time that explains the mental reality. Absolutely. Naturalism no, uh, and theism doesn't. Theism I, is compatible with an immaterial realm. It's compatible with God choosing to create nothing at all. Or God creating a natural world. But the, the, it's that's compatible. just one possible thing. So that's, an, that's your added assumption. That's what well, you've no, then tacked on to uh, theism. Let, let's... Let's be let's be fair. So if we're going to say God could do God could do nothing, God could create uh, a, a spiritual world, God could create a material world, right? All of those are compatible. You can't say that saying that the natural world, well, that's an assumption, but the spiritual world, that's not an assumption. That's what's entailed, right? That's what? that's just as much of a proposition. Saying that God would would more likely create a spiritual world is just as much of a proposition, uh, an assumption after the fact. But that's just as much as the possibility of God would create a natural world. Sure. I, I, that, so my point is that yeah, naturalism so, entails the material world. Theism doesn't. There are other things. There yeah. are other possibilities. Could, there, could, is, there are no other possibilities on naturalism. Yeah. So couldn't couldn't under naturalism couldn't nothing exist? No, because it would be the fit. You've already the, the hypothesis is the physical explains the mental. So you've already assumed that the physical exists. We've already that's part of the common ground that we come come to and say there's oh. a physical reality well and then and then at that point i'm just going to go back and say well you're begging the question from the very get-go then <laughs> uh I mean, that goes that goes oh. all the way back to the very presupposition that there's a physical world no because you're th- th- so so okay uh okay do you doubt the physical world no no no. i don't doubt the physical world but if you're going to say so that if you're going to have... say that naturalism so okay if you're going to say that naturalism the starting point is the physical world. We're presupposing the start of the physical world, right? Just, just like supernaturalism starts by presupposing the mental. The mental explains the physical. Yeah. So, uh, well, no. Uh, okay. At that point, I'm going to say, well... God's a mental mind, so you, right? The, the, the very clear other... Then and I, and I would actually say then 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 otherism is actually not as improbable as I thought it was going to be. Uh, the actual clear other is that under no natural processes, nothing existed. Under no natural processes, nothing existed. Right. Or um, you that would, so, but we've already agreed that something exists. So, so we've already ruled that possibility out. Okay. It so, has an intrinsic probability of zero. So, well, uh, uh, you you also have other problems of uh, could could we possibly have um, under naturalism a universe that is immaterial? Yeah, no, I don't know. That to me doesn't make any sense. Why is that? Because naturalism entails naturalism as I'm using that word is to denote the hypothesis that a physical reality explains the mental reality. Okay. And if the, you're saying that there's an immaterial reality, then you're just denying the physical. So right then and there, it's... Could you have an actual... So 
So then I'm going to say, well, then your your naturalism is actually already, again, starting at naturalism two, not naturalism one. So could you have natural processes that are working on something other than matter? Other like than a what? material world. Give no, me an example. No idea. We don't live in that type of reality. But could, could you have... Could you have well, what, what obligation do I have to respond if I've not been given any reason to think that this is a coherent challenge? Because under really, really what we're dealing with, you're dealing with... At that at that point, I'm going to say, well, then your 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 position actually isn't. Um, uh, so what, I forget the exact term you use between the naturalism and the supernaturalism. They're they're parallel claims. Symmetric claims. Symmetric yeah. Claims. So yeah, I'm um, going to say they're. I'm just going to say at that point they're they're really not symmetric claims, because wow. under under that position you could have natural you could have all kinds of natural uh, phenomenon um, that don't entail the physical world. Right. You, you well, then can, what do you mean by a natural phenomenon that doesn't entail the physical right. world? What, so, does it, what do you mean by that? I don't think that's a coherent. Uh, you could have so, so what's what so let's go, let's go with like a multiverse, you know, position. What's beyond our universe? That still has laws, though. Okay, you still have laws, but it does does it have to be material? Does it have to have matter? Does it have to expand and extend in space and time? I, I so the. The multiverse. I don't think space and space and time are local on on that model, right? So there's just there's multiple space times. Okay, so the 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 point I'm getting at is the the, then at that point your naturalism, your your n one, already has a bunch of built in assumptions about what the nature what that what what that nature is, right? You're building in the presupposition that what is more probable on naturalism is this local natural universe that we experience, right? You're already built, you're already assuming that all the way from the get-go. That's why I'm saying it begs the question because I could say, well, on naturalism, uh, what actually, you know, you, it's not, it's not actually, it doesn't, it's not apparent that what's more probable is a material universe, right? Maybe on naturalism, um, you could have an immaterial universe that's not intentional, that's not governed by mind, um, that that's that's. I don't know. know what that is. I'm not convinced that you've just. I, you've I don't. Just, I don't know. What, I don't have to know what that is. But you can't say that what's automatically entailed is a material universe at that point. I most certainly can say that because not that's part of the, 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 the question. physical reality entails a mental reality. This is true, even if theism is true. But we if, both but, agree that there's a physical material reality extended in space time we agree on that yeah but you can't you can't say that the material universe then is more probable i can because it's entailed by naturalism right. my but, hypothesis entails right and that at that point I, at that point i'm going to circle all the way back and i'm going to say then at that point you have, I, a, par- you have a parallel argument remember your uh, hypothesis entails consciousness consciousness becomes a problem for me, these, remember these are parallel arguments, right? I'm going to go all the way back, and I'm going to say then your naturalism starts 20 yards down the track. I don't, I, I don't see, I don't, do not see how that is because I'm only making the, the only proposition that I'm offering as an explanatory hypothesis is no, because that the you're world, going back, you're going back, and you're saying that a physical universe is yep. more probable on naturalism but yes. you've defined naturalism as a physical universe correct so you're begging that's, the question that's not begging the question that's okay. uh, i i define well, supernaturalism that's an, then. 
That's I define, I define supernaturalism then as the existence of any type of mind. The existence of mind exists. Therefore, the existence of mind is more probable on, on, on supernaturalism. Okay, so you would have to then make a symmetric claim with naturalism. What would be your symmetric claim? That the existence of naturalism... If we're going to make an analogy here, so my, my claims are symmetric. That the physical explains the mental, and I'm comparing that with the mental explains the physical. I'm not sure that the symmetrics at that point matters. Because I think just, it matters a great deal. You can't get away with begging the question just because you can make a symmetric claim that also begs the question. Because this, this makes an incredibly big deal because my explanatory stopping point is with the universe itself. Your explanatory stopping point is with the intentional mind of God. So at, at the bottom, at my explanatory ultimate is the universe. So you're begging you're the question. That's, that, that's blatant question-begging. It's special I'm pleading begging, of the worst kind. If I'm begging the question, <laughs> then so is the theist. No, the theist because the theist, isn't, the, is, the theist isn't falling back on the assumption of brute fact and saying, well, I don't need the to theist. explain that. I don't God's want to mind that. is a brute fact. No, God, God's well, existence well, no, no, would no. be a brute fact. But I'm not, I'm not claiming the existence as a brute fact. Yes, you are. I'm what not. explains God's existence? The necessary existence of God to explain the features of reality. The necess- his necessary no, 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 existence. No, 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 no. What explains it? Why does God exist? The necessity of his own being and the, and the, the, the so impossibility of so the contrary. Brute, so, so, it's a, so it's a brute fact. No, that's it. No, the existence of and necessity and contingency is, is not the appeal of brute possible? fact. Okay, is the, it logically possible for God to not exist? No, because God's a necessary being. Then you need an argument for that. I wouldn't grant you that. You the, have to have the necessity, a of the, the necessity of the contrary, and the, the necessity of existence, and the impossibility of the contrary. Is you it possible it. for so the universe? Is it possible for the natural world to not exist? Absolutely, it so, is logically contingent, just like God. Fantastic. I, I don't think God is logically contingent. Well, he is because I can conceive of a world where God doesn't exist. I don't think you can. Conceivability entails possibility. I can conceive of a world where God doesn't exist. Therefore, it follows that God does not exist in every possible world. God is factually necessary, but he's I, not logically necessary. You can, can disagree, I don't but you, you, don't, can, you have to bring a very powerful argument. Yeah, I, th- I don't think you can logically conceive of a world where God doesn't exist. <laughs> Why not? Because in order to logically conceive of something, you need the existence of God to ground laws of logic. Yes, You're it does. Saying that, in, order, in order to logically conceive of something... You have to can have you, the laws of logic in order to have the laws the of logic. In order to have the laws of logic, without just ap- appealing to them with a conjuring trick of a brute fact, you need to have That's an explanation for it. That's it, to say that the explanatory like, explanation stops with the principle themselves. You're adding theism as an added appendage to this. I, I'm not. You, have, you are assuming that. No, I mean, that, if, that if, we're gonna, if we're going to do that, then at that point, can't, I'm just saying, well, that God, it, God exists as a brute fact, and then we're both. I mean, we're to say well, exactly. Lot. And I already granted you that. I said that on the view of supernaturalism, God's existence is a brute fact. It right. would not. Then, explanation then, ended. Then everything is more. Then everything is more probable because God exists. How, how does that follow? Because God exists necessarily as a brute fact. If if theism is true, then the question I, is: I don't I don't need true. that because I can assume it as a brute fact. No, you're not assuming it is. You know, you're saying that God exists and His existence is not explained by anything else. Yeah, you're God, saying God that necessarily is, exists as a brute fact. Is God dependent on anything else for His existence? No. Then His existence is brute. 
No, his existence is necessary. Those different things. It, it, there is no further explanation as to why God exists. The necessity of his own being. So the necessity of the being of a logical law is that it necessarily exists. I can, I can make the same move, but I'm talking about an abstract object. You're talking about a concrete one. You're talking about a concrete object that exists in every possible Except world. There's, there's no reason to I believe. I really hard on that because I no, don't... Because there's no know. reason to believe that the laws of logic exist necessarily apart from mind. That's just an axiomatic assumption that you're making. No, no, it's not. It's because that... It is, that, it, is because assumed, it is because you've assumed it's, naturalism. You said that it's possible wait, that wait, there wait, is wait. a world I'm, I'm gonna, where minds don't exist. Is I'm going to stop you here. I'm going to stop you here. It is... Because you've assumed naturalism. This is why I'm saying it's circular. Because you've assumed naturalism. Because you've assumed naturalism. Therefore, all minds have to be embodied. Therefore, therefore these universals have to exist apart from mind. Therefore, they have to be axiomatic. No, that's not my argument. That's, That's not how the chain of reasoning goes. Those were two separate questions. So for, for, for this one, you're saying that the laws of logic are mind-dependent. I am claiming that the laws of logic are mind-independent. I am claiming that my view is far more robust than yours. You have zero evidence for it. I have, I have ev- I already gave an argument for it. I gave two arguments for and it. They the were, and I showed why they were invalid. You never showed why the Quine, Quine Putnam indispensability argument doesn't because, work. You, didn't, you did not refute my because they uh, just assume them as axiomatic and, and pragmatic. I can make so what if you're saying that I'm just assuming like as if as if that somehow gives you a reason to reject what I'm saying. So it's, it's a reason to reject I, it as a valid I'm argument. Saying, well, no, because I'm saying that it's logically possible for minds to not exist at all. But it is not logically possible for the laws of logic to be false. I don't think Therefore, it's lo- the laws of logic cannot be dependent on a mind. It's logically can't... possible that logic doesn't exist. Logic didn't no. exist ever. No, I would never grant you that. It, it's and not. It's not. Whoa! It doesn't hold. It's logically possible that logic could have never existed. No, I think that's a contradiction, right? In and of itself, what you're saying so, is it logically is possible? It, is it logi- for something illogical to happen? Correct. No, 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 that's a contradiction. No, it's not. Because I, I'm asking, it's I'm asking a modal, I'm asking a modal question. In this world, they exist. Grant that. I can't it say is it. Lo- no, I can't it say is it logically possible. stop. I can't it say is it logically possible for logic to not exist in this world. That would be stupid. That would be a contradiction. I'm saying, is it logically possible that logic could have never existed? No, it is no. It couldn't. It's a necessary truth. It's lo- literally logically necessary. I disagree. Well, well actually, I sort of disagree. I disagree that if they are if they are not part of uh, the the necessary mind of God, then it's possible that they would have not existed. I actually think they wouldn't because I think nothing would have existed. I uh, so I would say that that view is just incoherent. Uh, you were saying that there's a possible world in which logic didn't obtain. I I just think that's nonsensical, and maybe this is where we're at an impasse. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, probably. I, I just, I, the, I, I don't think if outside of this context, you would ever allow axiomatic argument from a theist. Just it would, it would, it would by axiomatic argu- argument. So, I'm, I'm putting forward a necessary truth. That's that's that we can rule out by the impossibility of the contrary. We we rule out logic is necessary. We we I don't think we can do that with God. I don't I, think there's. A I don't. Sense. Th- I don't think we can. I don't think we can say that logic is necessary. I can. I think we can say that the mind of God is necessary, and that logic is a reflection of the mind of God. Yeah, I guess that's where our metaphysics just disagrees. How how can something be logically necessary if it can have a prior explanation as cause? What are you talking? I don't think that you can have an explanation or a cause for a logical is it, law. Okay, is it logically possible for the laws of logic to be a reflection of the mind of God? I don't know. I don't even know what that means for an abstract object to be a reflection of a concrete one. Is I don't. I, I just don't even think that you're positing is it, something. Here. Is it? Is it possible that the laws of logic? So, so you you have you have the concept of what it means for your thoughts to reflect the law of non-contradiction. Yes, you, you have the, you so have the I, concept of what it means for laws for of the, logic are intelligible to me. You, you have, I can understand them. Do you have the concept of the laws of logic existing only as reflections of true thought? Sure, we'll we'll use that language. Okay, so then therefore it's logically possible. Right, so that God knows the, the the laws of logic. Sure, no, 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 no. That the laws of logic are the structures of the way that God thinks. Is that is, well, yes? Because God's yeah. mind would already be logical because, because God exists because eternally God, and necessarily. Yes, no, no, because logic is eternal and necessary. Mm. So God, God's mind would have to conform to the laws of logic. God can't do what's logically impossible. Remember, because God That's, is the ground of logic. That that that's that's the. Point. You've not told me anything. You've not told me anything meaningful. You tried to reduce a, a universal to a particular, and I'm skeptical of that nominalist move. I'm not. I, it doesn't matter if you're skeptical or not. I, all I have to get for for your position to be false is if it's possible. Correct, and I don't think it's possible. And I'm and I'm, and I'm telling you that I I don't think it's possible. I think what you're what you're putting forward is something can can you can, can you conceptualize? It? Medical, Do, can you understand no, the concept? No, I, I, I can't. Conce- I cannot. I cannot conceptually understand a universal being reduced to a particular. No, no, no. I'm not asking yeah. if a universal. I'm not asking you. Is it possible that your position is true and false? That's what that. I'm not asking you. Is it is it possible for a necessary universal to not be a necessary universal? It's not what I'm asking you. If 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 not what entail a contradiction. I'm asking you. Is it possible for your view to be false? I'm asking. Is it possible for you to your view to be false? And a different view, that is, that the laws of logic just are a reflection of the mind of God to be true. That, so, yeah, that would be a competing Correct. hypothesis so, of universals. So that would be a comparative question. You're asking, can you use a theory to account for these laws that is distinct from mine? Correct. Yes. Yes. So then your view is not necessarily true. So then, laws I, of logic cannot be necessary. Is that that are necessary too? Because I'm not granting you the epistemic possibility. I'm they, just I'm, I'm they, granting you the dialectic possibility. I'm saying that your view is necessarily false. You can still present it, and you can still give arguments for it, but I still think it's necessarily false. Is there is there a so let's let's go to modal logic? Is there a possible world 
Uh, is there a logically possible world where your view is false and my view is true? No. There's no logically possible world. No. Can you Can you point to the That's logical contradiction? View. Can you yes, point to what makes it logically impossible? Yes, because you are confusing a concrete thing with an abstract. No, no, no. No, no, no. Yes, you again, are. You're again, trying that, to put a relation. That's that, asking. That's asking specifically: is your true, is your view both true and false? I'm not asking: is there a possible world where your view is both true and false? I'm asking: is there a possible world where your view is false and a different view is true? No, because on my view, the truth is a okay. necessary truth. Uh, then you're then you're begging the question. Then you're just begging the question and 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 happy with it. Uh, if you want to call that begging the question, but it's it, the impossibility it, of the it, contrary. It, it, begs, it no more begs the chronic question than it, you beg the question when you say, well, God exists because of the impossibility of the contrary. No, because God, but the difference is that God would exist necessarily. As so would the law of logic. No, no, no. God would exist necessarily as an explanation for the laws of logic. But I don't, why does it need, and you, so you're saying that it needs this additional explanation. We already know that it's we, it can't be false. We don't know Logic- that. You claim yeah. to know that. <laughs> a lot of people don't agree with you. Most actually. So uh, it, it's, I it's, hard, I to, it's hard to say. It's hard to say when you say we know. Uh, so uh, I think you would you would very much find that the majority of philosophers would agree that the laws of logic are valid and they're true. Now I agree some that of they're them, valid and true because I think they reflect the mind of God. And so, and I don't, I don't adopt that view. I don't, I don't think what, that view works. And that's fine. What I'm saying is, I think most people would disagree with you in this kind of um, neo-Platonistic. Uh, they exist as abstract realities. But and by the way, I could go on that same argument. And I could say I don't even know what it means. I, I and I and I literally mean it. I don't even know what it means to say the law of non-contradiction exists uh, independently as an abstract object, independent from mind or or instantiations of reality. It's I, a proposition that's true in and of itself. It do, needs do, to, do propositions exist apart from minds? Yes, I think true propositions. So propositions are what we use to to, to correspond to reality. Uh, do, how, do, how, do we, how do we use them? Do we use them in our mind or do they exist apart from our mind? Yeah, we use concepts in our minds. We have those no concepts, examples of propositions existing apart from minds. So in the same way that you're going to say we have no examples of minds existing apart from body, I'm going to say we have no examples of propositions existing apart from minds. Because a proposition is an abstract thing, and a, you're messing up again because a mind's a concrete thing. A mind is something that we we, we would. So first off, we don't know if there's other minds. Brains are what we would we would have. So the, the existence of other minds is is an assumption. Do, okay, so we could say mental. Sorry, not minds. Yeah. Mental. Do we so, do we have the existence? So do we have, we have any evidence of propositions existing apart from mental activity? We have experience of logical truths. Those logical truths make impressions on us in a, in a, in a rational, intelligible do, manner. Do we have any experience of, of propositions existing apart from mental activity? I don't know what that means. What because do you mean? It's, because it's meaningless, but it's what your view entails. You don't know what it means, but it's what your view entails. It entails that propositions that, exist apart from mental states. You're saying that my view entails it, but you're not explaining how it entails it. Because your view, you, I can you say literally just hold on. You literally just said logic are propositions. They're universal, abstract propositions yes. that exist apart from brains. Did you? Is that not your view? Yes. So yes. That, and mind so, so your that. view is that propositions exist apart from mental activity. Yes, true propositions. So how can you say true, that you don't understand do that if that is your position? My position is that 
there are mind-independent truths. In other words, that the truth of the statement, of the proposition, the truth of it does not depend on my mind existing or any mind at all. Do we have any do we have any examples of propositions existing mentally? I gave an argument for that. I get that was the yellow is a color argument. So that would I'd say that yellow is a color. You granted that. For that proposition to be true, there must be a truth maker called color, a truth maker called yellow. Those truth makers are abstract objects not concrete ones. And do we have Those, any evidence of that existing apart from... So this is the argument. So we already granted that that first proposition was true. And then I'm making the additional point that the truth of that proposition entails that universals exist necessarily. That's my argument. So if you're asking me, do I have... How do you have the argument that they exist? I agree with you, universals exist. I'm asking you, how do you get from there to the position that universals, propositions, exist apart from mental activity? Because they're not dependent on the mental activity for their truth. That's begging the question. No, it's not. Does it presuppose? Why is you're trying to insert a mind into the clockwork of logic? I'm resisting your insertion of the mind into the clockwork. Why is that mind necessary? It's not serving because any expression pro- propositions only exist in, in mental activity. It's the only... That, that, our universal 100% every <coughs> single bit of our experience is that propositions are part of mental activity. Again, that, you, you can't, think of, you can't think of a counterexample. You can't think of that's, a counter, that's, I know you can't think of a counterexample. So, yes, I can, because that's the same case with the physical reality. Great, All me, of our give, experiences give, of the physical reality uh, have, been in, have been in mental. Fan- so no, that's, you're, you're talking external world skepticism now. Fantastic. And that's, so that's so you, do you agree, with the, you agree with the argument that if we have universal experience of something, we can infer the absolute nature of that, yes? So if you're going to say our universal experience is natural therefore what what's the conclusion for that i don't know i'm not following you this is your chain of reasoning you don't shouldn't need to ask me a question this, this is could, this is you just that. you just said it you said the parallel argument is that we have universal experience of, of natural reality of, of a physical of, of a yes physical reality. A physical reality okay and so from that do, is there an external does that correspond to an actually existent reality and i say yes and I say the exact same thing about our impressions of logical truths. You don't, though. It's not analogous. So you're going to say we have universal... analogous. You're going to say we have universal experience of physical reality, right? Therefore, right, what's, what's the conclusion of your position? What's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the entailment from that that you're driving at? Say it in your so own words. I'm, say, I'm, I'm saying that we have sense impressions of an external world from us extended in space and time that we take in is what we call sense data. And so we believe that these sense data correspond to actually existing objects in the world. When I have an experience of a rock, there's really a rock in the world. That's what it means to be a realist about the physical world. When I say that there's a logical truth, I mean that that proposition is true and there is something in reality in which it corresponds to. 
what was your argument against unembodied minds, right? We, your, your argument my, was, in, all, argument of our, in all of our universal experience, we have only interacted. All known, all known concrete mental activity that we know of is dependent on physical processes in an embodied brain. Great. So we have so no our, examples of a physical, of mental activity not being caused by physical structure. Therefore, what's the inference? The inference is that disembodied minds are, are therefore unlike. improbable. Yes, because we have universal yes, experience. These are concrete. Wait, these are concrete. We things. have universal. We have universal experience of X. Therefore, not X is improbable. Is that is that a is that a valid uh, representation of what your what your argument is? So all we have, we have universal experience of X, therefore not X is improbable. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I wouldn't put it in that logical structure. I would put it in a in a more robust inductive one. Okay. Go for it. Do do a robust inductive one. Um. So I would just appeal to different evidences. Um. Put it, put it in syllogistic form, though. Inductive syllogism. So, minds are known to be physically dependent. The physical dependency of minds is much more probable on the assumption that naturalism is true than if theism is true. Theism is not more intrinsically probable than naturalism. Therefore, the physical dependency of minds is prima facie evidence confirming naturalism and disconfirming theism. Three begged the question, by the way. Uh, Let's just, okay, I'm going to stick with because I think it's an accurate representation. If we have universal experience of X, then not X is improbable. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the key point. I, your, your example that you gave begged the question on, on about your third premise. Uh, my argument is analogous. We have universal experience of propositions and mental activity. Therefore, the existence of universal Unembodied or un what did you call it? Uh, uh, propositions apart from minds is improbable. You only have experience. The category doesn't doesn't matter. By the way, on this, the category right. absolutely matters. No, well, then I can it, then I can because then I can say the category. Was, no, because then I can say the category between the different ways of knowing. No, because I can say the category between between the difference between the natural and and the supernatural. That category makes a difference, and so you can't use your argument it against the supernatural. It does make it. It does make a difference. Uh, That's why I make this this symmetric claim it between the make, It doesn't make a difference when we're talking about when we're talking about the, this type of logical syllogism. It doesn't make a difference because these are these are the reasonable, reasonable inferences between them. So if you're going to say if we have universal experience of X, the category of X doesn't matter when we make the inference. Yeah, but we're talking about an a, we're in the in the in the a, example with minds. We're you, talking. About I'm using your same body. principle of induction. I, I'm using your same principle of induction. If we have universal experience of X, then. But we Not don't X know logical improbable. truth by induction. Okay. I'm asking our experience of propositions. So you're... so. Do we have I'm, any experience of propositions apart from mental activity? We don't have experiences of anything apart from mental activity. Fantastic. It's, so we have universal experience, experience of propositions in mental activity. 
Therefore, the existence of propositions apart from mental activity is improbable. No, it's, ah, I don't know why this is, so, so when you're talking about minds, you're talking about something in the world. You're talking about something that you have to go out. The category doesn't make a difference. The category doesn't make a difference when we're talking about, when we're talking about your inferential rule. We know abstract truths differently than we know truths about the external world. It most certainly matters. I'm not asking about your experience of abstract truth. I'm asking this about our proposition that exists outside of our mind is an abstract truth. It's an abstract object. That's exactly what then we're talking about. Then you're begging the question that it's an abstract object. That's my whole point. I'm not, I, I gave an argument for that, so I can't possibly be begging the question if I've given two arguments. But I'm showing you that by that your point. own argument, by your own line of reasoning, by your own rule of inference, you can't get away with it. I can't. I disagree with you. I think you. I think you. I think you've just got it wrong. No, I think you've got it wrong. It's your own rule of inference. If we have a universal experience of X, you would need to show why the category matters. In the, I just did. In, in, I literally just did. You didn't. In the inferential structure of that statement, why the category is relevant to the if-then proposition, how we know the if-then is irrelevant to whether or not the if-then is a valid inferential rule, right? I could say, I could then say, well, um, you're talking about unembodied minds. That's categorically different than embodied minds. Therefore, you can't use your inference the same way on that one. I'm sorry. Because it's a different category. It's a different category. It is a different category. So therefore, you can't make. So therefore, you can't make. Sorry. Therefore, you can't make that argument. An abstract object. You would never allow that. You would never, in a million years, allow that. And abstract objects do not exist in the same way that concrete objects exist. And you're begging the question (laughs) again. No, that's that is is to be proven. That is to be proven. And I gave an argument. And I showed why it's invalid by using your your own rule of inference. You can't. But you you can't get. A, you can't get. A, you can't get away. Hold you on. Used an a posteriori argument. Hold on. You used an inductive method. I'm going to call, call Trump argument. on my own show. I'm going to call Trump. You can't get away with arguing for something, then arguing against the defeater by assuming the truth of what's being protested. That's I'm not begging doing that. the that's question. That's where you've misrepresented my argument. You, that's exactly what you're doing. Your, arg- <laughs> Your argument is to the position that universals exist apart from the mind. Yes? Yes. That is, not that is the conclusion of your argument. Yes. That, yes. that universals Good. do not depend on a mind. Great. Universals do not depend on a mind. I've shown you a defeater for it based on wow. your own reasoning. Why? No, you you showed me an inductive method to try to to, to try to undercut an a priori. It's an inductive method that you've used to undercut other things. It's an it's a, a rule posteriori that makes a difference because I'm talking about objects in the world. I'm not talking about abstract objects. You wouldn't you apply an inductive method to 
abstract objects. Why well, gave you a deductive argument for the existence of universals? So you can't. When I, so when I show you a defeater, you then can't go to the conclusion of your argument that I'm showing you a defeater for. You can't you're say. So you're, so you're, you're saying your conclusion, the, your conclusion is the position that these are <coughs> abstract a priori objects from a deductive argument. I'm, which is false, and I'm showing you. That from the from this argument, there's a defeater for it. There's you not a defeater for it. You can't then say I'm going to defeat the defeater by appealing to the conclusion of the argument that's under question that these are categorically that. different. I'm not. I'm not doing so. You're you're not respecting that. You're you're thinking that you can take inductive methods that work in the world, in space and time, using those experiences, and then apply them. To a realm of abstract truths. Okay. So can you that, can you use and inductive arguments to be a valid can, move? Can you and use inductive arguments to argue against the existence of God? Sure. No, you can't because God is outside of this world. So no, you can't by your own reasoning so, because God because God is outside of this world. So I could say he's categorically no, different. He's not, so an, no, you can't. he's not an abstract object though. He's a concrete object. Remember, but he's so not. I, you just said within this universe. So, or within this world. So he's not within this world. He's not a discrete object he's within this world. He's not within the universe because he's not spatially located. Okay, so do we know about God the same? Do we know about God the same way we know about the moon? Is God an abstract object? No. Exactly. There you go. There's the difference right there. I don't think that that's that's a substantive difference. You can't just point. How, to how it is that not that, a substantive dif- difference? How, One's causally inert, the other's not. How is it a? Why would why would <laughs> one's known a priori, the other one's known a posteriori. One's going to use deduction. I think we know God a priori. So I think God exists necessarily as an uh, as an a priori fact. So you, know, you would need an a priori argument for that, and then I couldn't then undercut existence. that. I couldn't undercut that argument by then appealing to my ar- argument from from physical mind. Great, his, his nece- no, 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 you just granted it. God's, so then I can say he's an a priori argument. Uh, I win by the necessity of his own existence. You then you cannot argue. No, no, no. You then cannot make your objection, your inductive objections against him. I, I, exactly. You're absolutely right by saying that. Fantastic. And so so, you, so you, yeah. deny, you deny the, the, the problem of evil as an argument against the existence of God? It, uh, no, I don't deny it. So is, now, is, it a or an is an inductive or a deductive argument? You, it could be either or. Do you, it think the, do you think the deductive version of the logic argument is valid? Of course it's valid. Do you think it's sound? I'm, no, I, act, I would actually question whether it's valid or not. Do you think it's sound? I don't know. I uh, No, I, I, I grant that it's logically possible. for the. I think the more interesting conversation surrounds the evidential. The inductive version. The inductive version. So you can't use inductive so, arguments because God is categorically an a priori position. Uh, okay, so then you would have to give an a priori argument. Is necessity so I would he, no, he exists necessarily, just axiomatically. You and I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow because I could still ask, why does God exist? Necessarily, and and how do axiomatically? I don't, I don't need to explain it. It's a brute fact. I don't need to explain it. Oh well, then it's unintelligible. <laughs> so is it unintelligible that the laws of logic has a brute fact? It's it's, it's unintelligible. unintelligible to say that they're false. So, so, it, but it's it's unintelligible to to, to it's unintelligible to deny the truth of the laws of logic. 
It is not unintelligible to, de- to deny the existence of God. It, it is if God is, it, it is if God is necessary for the existence of laws of logic, existence for well, the universe, that it's existence necessary. for us. You need an ontological argument for that. Uh, which, yeah, I think, it, I think it's valid. Necessary. You need an ontological argument for the existence of laws of logic as being axiomatic. I just gave you one, but because the the denial of them entails a contradiction, and I showed by to to deny that the laws of logic, to to, to say that the laws of logic are false is to presuppose them. So that entails a contradiction. I agree Therefore, with you. I'm a presuppositionalist. No, the question so, is the question is so, on naturalism. Why do you have the existence of propositions and principles of thought that exist apart from a mind? That's by the, the question. Of the contrary. It's not impossible. We, we It is. I just showed you and by denying the laws of logic, ben, by denying ben, the proposition, ben, the laws of logic. Ben, it's not impossible. You've already granted it that it's possible in a possible world for 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 laws of logic for your view to be false and for the laws of logic to exist as a reflection of mind of God. No, I said that was a dialectic possibility. On my view, laws of logic are necessary truths. They are true in all possible okay, worlds. Okay, well, then, in my all view, God exists necessarily, and I don't need to defend it. It's axiomatically and true. You would need an argument for that. You would need a sound ontological argument the for that. The necessary existence of God. No, that's you're, not an you're, argument. You're assuming that you're assuming the laws of logic as unembodied, uh, as because unembodied of the propositions. The contrary. Great. And I, now, why is God it impossible? Ex- God exists as the impossibility of the contrary. Why? Why is why is it impossible? Because I he exists necessarily in every possible world as the foundation for laws of logic. That's just an assertion. You've not explained why. I don't need to. Need it's a proof fact. Then you've not offered any argument. I agree I with you. You haven't offered any it. argument. <laughs> I absolutely I did agree. It. I did the impossibility of the country. No, I, you, I, beg the, I said, you beg the question. We're going to go round and round on this, by the way. Uh, well, I want to make this, make this point very clear. The proposition, the laws of logic are false, already presupposes the laws of logic. I agree with you. Because so they exist necessarily as no, a reflection no, no, no. of the necessarily existing God, there no. is an explanation for the, the ground of the laws of logic because, because – I'm going to mute you here in a minute – because we can ask the question. They have they, – they are a posteriori because we can ask the question – they're a priori. And give an, uh, and give an example and give an explanation for their foundation. Just asserting it. Sorry. Just saying it. Don't make it so. Uh, but we are we are pretty much out of time. We'll leave this to the listeners to to figure out this one. Sure. Uh, lots of complex. Um, I, I I will leave it out uh, basically out there for for people to listen in, listen back. Let me know. Um, sorry, Ben, brother, but I I think most people are going to listen to this and just scratch their head on your view. Uh, it, it seems so incoherent and inconsistent. Uh, and and. And, and just utterly question begging. If I'm wrong, people write me, let me know, be happy. Ben, I do want to have you back on. Uh, I think it'll be a little awesome. bit better because we'll, we'll get away. I understand that, that discussions about laws of logic tends to be a little bit more abstract than uh, most people listening are capable of um, and uh, apparently more than, than we're able to uh, get across to each other. Um, I think I think coming into uh, questions uh, of problem of evil and things like that will be a little bit easier, a little bit more clear. We can get to that point. Sure. All right. Uh, fun times. This will uh, this will be aired uh, soon and shortly. Ben, uh, thanks for coming. By the way, um, I'm going to have your information in the show notes. But how can people find you? Get a hold of you? All that kind of fun stuff. Um, so obviously, I'm on Facebook. I'm Benjamin Blakespeed Watkins. Uh, feel free to drop me a friend request. Um, I'm also a admin for the Real Atheology page on Facebook. So be sure to 
like that and follow us and get uh, Justin Schieber and I try to update it as best we can with uh, philosophy of religion content. Awesome. All right. Well, guys, head on over there. Listen to, to, to some of his stuff. Read the, read the website. Follow up on some of the articles. Uh, and again, give, it, give us your feedback. Let us know um, your thoughts on, on, the, on what's been said here so far. Happy to, to admit I was wrong on something. If you guys uh, can bring um, some, some clarity to this. Well, that was my discussion with Benjamin Watkins. Please feel free to give me some feedback. Give us some feedback. Uh, weigh in on this. Let us know. Um, was, was I being uncharitable? Was he being circular? Let us, let us know your thoughts. So please let me know if you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations. Please feel free to visit the blog at freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. Email me at freedthinkerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, go ahead and visit Ben uh, at the Real Atheology page, or why not find us on Facebook, on the Freed Thinker Podcast Facebook uh, page. Join us again next time uh, as we discuss my views on Genesis 1. Thank you again for joining us. Good night and God bless. <laughs>